This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, is the fantasy hockey robot, the ad drop ace, the IPP MVP, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. So glad to be together again for another episode of this humble podcast. Elon, it was so crazy yesterday. So many injuries happened. Let's get into it. Yeah, I mean, sometimes throughout the week, Brian, I come up with a list, like, who we're going to talk about. And I already sort of had an order. Then all of a sudden, news came out. Jonathan Quick is hurt. Austin Matthews is hurt. Like, and we'll, we'll get to it all. So here you, go. you guys, you know, we're coming up with this pretty much on the fly. I'm going to be referencing stats from this afternoon's games. It's wild. NHL, so fun. Fantasy hockey, always changing. We're going to get into it in just a second. Of course, first, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the top fantasy hockey website out there. They've got, they're also up to speed super quick. Daily ramblings every day. They already have a whole article explaining the impact of Austin Matthews being injured and everything else that happened yesterday. Articles every day. I love the tools, the frozen tools. I use them to prepare the show every single week. Has everything I need. Every single number or power or like you know, line combinations or percentages. Everything I say is going to be from frozen tools. So it's overall just a great site. DauberHockey.com and their network of tools fantastic okay brian let's get into it and obviously we have to start with injuries a few players have gone down either yesterday or recently and i want to start yesterday with jonathan quick who was injured yet again peter budai has been called up and quick like this is a bit different because quick already got injured earlier in the season and we were like oh my god you have to grab jack campbell la is going to be a great team you want to have their goalie Things haven't been going the way we expected for LA. Like, first of all, Jonathan Quick himself not having a great season. He's 03 and 1. He has an 845 save percentage, which is terrible in only four games, though. So, I mean, can't put too much stock in it. But still, Patreon Krista had actually already requested we talk about Quick before the injury news. And oh, yeah, by the way, I put out a call to the patrons about which players they want us to talk about. So, that's going to be a new thing I'm going to try to incorporate into the show. Another perk of being a patron and keeping Carlson. We'll talk about the players that you want. Anyways, when Quick got injured initially after that first game, we were telling people to rush to add Jack Campbell. And especially, like, he put up a 947. 949 and then 1000 save percentage in his first three games as the starter for LA with quick out so Campbell had this amazing start but then he followed that up with a 636 840 and 667 save percentage in his next three games he was pulled in two of those games 
So Jack Campbell, now we have to decide, is he valuable? Are we going to tell people to rush to grab him like we did last time? Or now do we have to be a little bit more apprehensive? Campbell was decent in the 4-1 loss to Minnesota on Thursday. He stopped 22 of 24. Not so great today versus the Rangers. He stopped 22 of 25. But hey, he got the win. Maybe LA's on the right track. We've got Dustin Brown back. We'll get to him in a second. But Brian, what do you think about Jack Campbell? Should people be rushing to grab him? So the thing about rushing or to grab a Kings goalie or doing anything with a Kings goalie is you have to realize that they're playing behind a team right now. Whoever's in that L.A. crease, they're playing behind a team that, as we talked about last week, is having such a hard time figuring out how to not suck this year. It's incredible how many parallels there are between them and a team like Chicago. I was thinking about it this week. Chicago and LA both have multiple cups since 2010. Each of them won those cups thanks to some elite top-end offense, uh, huge goaltending performances, and not terribly mobile, but large shutdown defense. Uh, Each of LA and Chicago followed their cup wins by making some really large salary commitments that have left them right up against the cap. And as such, both teams have had to respond uh, to being right up against the cap by finding these perfect bargain bin role players to fill out their lineup, like the Alex Iofalos of the world and Vinny Hinestrozas, even though he's moved on, those sorts of players. And then with all that, with all that in common, uh, we find LA and Chicago in opposite places at the moment and actually opposite from what we would have guessed at the start of the year where LA is the one uh, struggling to keep up with the rest of the league and Chicago just seems to be in pretty good shape. Let's get back and look at specifically what is happening with LA at even strength so far this season. They rank 22nd in score adjusted shot attempt share, uh, though somehow they are seventh best in the league at keeping their expected goals against per 60 down. And they're actually middle of the pack in goals against per 60 in the league. And they're just below the middle of the pack in save percentage. So their defense, uh, all told, is kind of middle of the pack. And to try and really figure out what this means, if you are thinking about getting a Kings goalie on your team, I look at this as LA as being a team who's doing fine defensively, but their offense has fallen apart. And some might rightfully point to the fact that the Kings rank 30th in team shooting percentage, saying their luck should turn and they shouldn't be ranked 27th in goals for per 60, except I'll point them to LA's 27th ranked expected goals per 60, which means that the Kings aren't doing themselves a whole lot of favors. And even with a shooting percentage progression, the Kings still wouldn't find themselves in such a great spot. Same story on the power play. They have a terrible shooting percentage, bad goal scoring rates, but it all roughly matches their expected goals for rates based on the quality and content of the shots that they're taking. So, Look, whether LA is going to figure this out and reward you for owning one of their goalies, if I had the answers to that, I would be a candidate for their coaching staff. Uh, You look at last year to see what the answer was then. The Kings survived last season as a lower scoring team with not dissimilar shot attempt share numbers, but a difference between this year and last is that Quick was fantastic last year. He's been awful this year, underperforming terribly compared to his expected save percentage. Jack Campbell, going into tonight's game at least, has actually overperformed his expected save percentage to a modest extent. But on the whole, LA is down to a mid-pack even strength save percentage compared to being in the top five in that category last year. Here's the thing. Where, where, where does LA go from here? I feel like they have an okay chance of being actually okay still if some of their percent percentages can progress, uh, that the problem might not run so deep. And if that's the case, Jack Campbell would be a fine goalie to own. Last week, Elon, you and I hyped, uh, or we hoped for the return of Dustin Brown to turn things around. That's where things have gotten in LA Kingsland. 
And, uh, you know, we'll see if that's going to be a rallying point. Now that he's back in, we already have some early returns. Yeah, they won today. They didn't even need great goaltending to get the win. Of course, it was against the New York Rangers. Man, you threw a lot of numbers at us, Brian. But basically, it sounds like a lot of this like expected goals against and everything. Like, don't forget, there's LA's had some great games and some bad games. Like I said, Campbell was like, great for three games and absolutely terrible for three games. So we'll have to still see a bit bigger of a sample size to really see how good this team is. In the meantime, Quick is going to be out at least a week. So I'd say grab Jack Campbell if you need a goalie because you never know. Also, like with Jonathan Quick already getting hurt for the second time this year, maybe it'll turn out to be a longer term thing. Maybe he has some nagging issue and they'll decide to give him a longer rest this time so i would definitely be looking at him if he's still available in your league like we said okay so dustin brown is back today he played on the top line with kopitar and Ayafalo just like last year also he was on the top power play with carter kopitar kovalchuk dowdy that's a nice top power play and hey dustin brown scored a power play goal he also took three shots he threw seven hits fantastic return for dustin brown don't forget he had that amazing 61 point resurgence last season of course though that was playing with a 92 point Andre kopitar and kopitar is not playing that way this year with his assist today he still only has three goals and one assist in 10 games that's less than a half point per game i feel like we can't even like i feel like dustin brown we kind of know that he's gonna ride alongside kopitar overall so it's almost like brown yeah obviously he should be owned in all leagues especially if they count his hits but really his upside is capped by what kopitar can do and also kind of the rest of the Kings and you kind of already got to this with the forwards and saying how they're they've been struggling we've got Jeff Carter scoreless today only has five points in 11 games now Ilya Kovalchuk had been struggling actually had a huge huge game today he had a goal and two assists bringing him to a much more respectable eight points in 11 games he was only at a half point per game before today two of his points today by the way came on the power play and one assist came at even strength from the third line Kovalchuk was jumped, brought all the way down to play with Adrian Kempe and Trevor Lewis. So we'll see how long that lasts. I feel like that wouldn't be good. Maybe it's almost the time to sell on Kovalchuk after this big game today. Anyways, Brian, in general, like, I don't want to get, go deep into each of these players, but can we get a general reset on what to expect from all these Kings forwards moving forward? Like, is Kopitar super elite or is he just regular? And all the other, you know, Carter, Kovalchuk, like, what did their owners do if they have these guys? Yeah, it's hard for me to really define define the depth of LA's problems. Like, they could actually be fine or still be actually screwed. I have not seen any convincing numbers or solid takes making the case for the Kings either way. So I guess if you own any of these players or are looking to go get them and, and wondering what the future holds, I think the, the line for now is patience. I myself would be hesitant to buy low because how low could you really buy on Kopitar and Jeff Carter Anyway, you know, unless you're you're going to deal someone who who's projected for 15 fewer points than they would in a reasonable season, I don't know how you can possibly or necessarily win that trade. Uh, like, it's going to take at least a 60-point player, and to get Jeff Carter for that would probably not be worth the risk, especially if that 60-point player is clicking and everything's looking sunny right now. Kopitar would be worth it if you can sell a 60-point player for him. Uh, but overall, I'm just sort of in a holding pattern for the Kings right now. Let's see what happens with Dustin Brown back. It's, it feels ridiculous to say that, but with their depth being what it is to have one above replacement player enter their lineup kind of makes a difference. Yeah, and I mean, Kopitar and Brown played well last year, so I feel like now would be a dumb time to sell low on Kopitar, be worried about it. Maybe it is a good time to buy, especially because he's not going to get four points every 10 games. He's going to be better than that for sure, like even if Dustin Brown isn't there. Now he's there. Somebody clicked with last year. That top power play looks like it could be really good. So yeah, I'd say hold on to your LA guys. Maybe buy low if you can, but obviously don't go too crazy because we don't yet know that they're like for sure going to bounce back. Okay, let's go. I know people are waiting. Like, there's a lot of Leafs fans who listen. They're probably waiting for us to talk about Austin Matthews. I don't want to, okay? I'm going to go to St. Louis. We'll get to Toronto. Don't worry. 
Jake Allen left in the second period versus Chicago yesterday after a collision with either Saad or Sanford. I don't know. That's I read that it was with both of them. So I don't. I didn't actually see what happened, but that doesn't really matter. Like Jake Allen was having another Jake Allen-y game. He led in three goals on 18 shots before he left the game. Obviously, you never want to see someone get hurt. Like for sure, Brian, you would never hear me say that I advocate and be happy about a player on my team or on someone else's team getting hurt. I want every NHL player to be happy and healthy. That said, <laughs> I wasn't too bothered by having Jake Allen go to the IR because he's been so, so bad. And I own him in the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League. He has an 873 save percentage in nine games. I obviously couldn't drop him. I, I felt like I'd be dumb to sell him for nothing. So he was just keeping a spot in my roster where he's giving me negative points on the days that he played. So like, hopefully he'll recover. But like, I feel like if he wants to take a week or two, get his head straight, come and like, come back as a reasonable NHL goaltender. I'm not asking for much, but come on, Jake Allen, like you got to be better than this. Uh, Backup Chad Johnson came in in relief and he closed out the win yesterday. Like, so he did pretty well in what, in, you know, the one period he played, but he's been equally as bad as Allen in his limited action. He has a sub 900 save percentage himself. Are we at this point going to be recommending a Chad Johnson ad similar to a Jack Campbell? Let's say if like Allen and Quick are both out for the same amount of time, or is there a chance that Vili Huso gets called up and... And gets in some games. He's a guy that some people were wondering if he would get a chance to steal some starts at some point this year. Maybe this is his time. So what do you think about Huso, Chad Johnson, and how they compare to, say, a Jack Campbell at this point? So the thing about St. Louis is that they have been pretty awful defensively. Only Columbus and Philadelphia have a higher expected goals against per 60 minutes at even strength this year than the Blues, which means they rank 29th in the NHL right now in that defensive metric. And there seem to be some pretty big problems all over the ice that the Blues have not yet found an answer for. And this has probably given Jake Allen a bit of a worse reputation than he's deserved. Not to say he doesn't deserve it at all. Only Mike Smith, uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, and Martin Jones have performed further beneath their expected save percentages than Jake Allen has. And those four guys are actually all in a league of their own amongst starters that way. Like they are behind the pack if you take the differences between their expected save percentages at even strength and their actual save percentages. So you wonder if Chad Johnson or Ville Husso could do better. Uh, maybe. Can St. Louis do better? They should be able to, but their goalies are certainly getting shelled while we wait for them to figure everything out uh, outside of the crease. I would be fine to add whichever goalie is playing, whether it be Jake Allen or Johnson or Huso, if Allen is injured. Uh, like, I want the St. Louis goalies still, just because they seem too good a team on paper to actually stay this bad on the ice for so long. Like, they should be able to protect even an average NHL goalie to an extent that that goalie is not going to wreck you every time you play them. Yeah, and hey, yesterday, after Allen got injured, for some reason, that was a wake-up call. They exploded in the third period, won the game. Who knows if that's going to be a sign of things to come. Alex Petrangelo, I want to talk about him, has continued to be terrible, up to 10 games with only one assist now. Is what I had written as I was preparing for this show during the second intermission of yesterday's game. But then in the third period, he scored a goal and got two assists in one period. And all of a sudden, I'm really excited about Alex Petrangelo because we have him in a couple leagues. I've been beating myself up for having drafted him so high in my leagues, especially after this whole triplets thing. He had triplets over the summer. And some people think that's the reason for a slow start. You know, I was prepared to ask you, Brian, if Petrangelo is in drop territory right now. Like, it looked like he was going to have yet another pointless game. But now I guess I'll ask a different question. Is now maybe the time to sell Petrangelo? You know, tell the people who need defense, hey, look at this guy. He's finally woken up. He's going to now be as good as last year when really that was just like a great third period. How much stock can you put into it? And overall, all the other periods aside from that third period have been really, really bad. 
And, and like, by the way, one reason Petrangelo was doing nothing all season long is he's been bumped from the top power play. We've already talked about this. Vince Dunn has taken over the top power play job for pretty much the whole season now. He's up to six points in eight games after his power play assist yesterday. Vince Dunn has a three-game point streak. Dunn's been on that power play and with a red-hot Ryan O'Reilly and the very hot, if not exactly red-hot Vladimir Tarasenko. Like, the three of them are killing it. They're getting points almost every game. So, Brian, I guess, yeah, like, what do we do in terms of, like, Dunn versus Petrangelo? And overall, yeah, this whole defense situation. Like, who do you want? Who do you not want? I feel like at some point we have to say Vince Dunn is a must-add. Maybe we're now at that point. So you touched on... Like, is this the moment to sell Alex Petrangelo before it's too late, before he goes in dormant again? And it's always hard to sell a guy who's been slumping after that one good moment that he has. Because unless you're dealing him to someone who hasn't been paying any attention at all to hockey, I imagine the owner on the receiving end of your offer will smell the reek of desperation as you rush to make that offer after that single long-awaited moment of relevance that finally came for Petrangelo. I still don't think as an owner, as a result, there's much you can do other than wait for Petrangelo to to get on some kind of roll. Honestly, everything looks okay. His shot and shot attempt rates have dropped some amount from the last several seasons, but not enough that Petrangelo should be struggling this much in his production. I still, I don't know if you, I feel like you might disagree here, Elon. I still prefer him to Vince Dunn but Dunn is still definitely a fantasy-worthy own while he works one of the most loaded power play units in the league. He has no peripherals either, but he does put up two and a half shots per game, and he has a good shot at a power play point any given game, and that makes him worthwhile to have on most rosters uh, now that he seems to be stuck on that top unit 10 games into the year. Dunn is be, Dunn is someone that I would be worried about like the the trade uh, not trade wins the winds of change are blowing behind the St. Louis bench a lot of rumors is Mike Yo done for if Mike Yo is done for and there is a coaching change I feel like that would endanger Dunn's spot on power play one it would be a very easy move for a new coach to come in curry some favor with Petrangelo or like what I, I don't know what the dynamic is I guess but I feel like that could be a very fast change to make put Petrangelo back on the top unit or even Colton Pareko Dunn seems to be very much a Mike Yo choice. Okay. Uh, this is interesting because I was kind of thinking I would say if I was to trade Petrangelo, going back to what you said about him, like I would say he was great last year. Clearly now he's getting back on track. Now's the time. But you're saying like the other person wouldn't accept it. But do you think now, I, I don't want to get too off track, but like, do you think now's the time to try to get rid of him? I guess you're saying hold and let's see. You said, you're saying you still like him long term. So actually, I won't even bug you. I will say we have this awesome new tool that a patron of ours, I don't know, like this guy, Mark Callahan is so cool. No, not Mark Callanan. Sorry about that, Mark. Like he made this spreadsheet for us. You know how on Yahoo, they tell you the percentage owned for a player. You look at Vince Dunn, he's only 8% owned. You think, oh, no one cares about that guy. But we have 16 divisions in the couple, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, which is the most ultimate league with the smartest fantasy hockey players. And in the couple, Vince Dunn is owned in 15 of 16 divisions. So he's 93.75% owned. So I feel like this is the number I would look at when wanting to decide if a player is someone worth owning. Who cares about all the idiots on Yahoo who don't know what Vince Dunn is, is like no like what is a Vince Dunn? They don't know, but only 8% of people know apparently. But the people in the couple, they know what they're doing. And yeah, he's definitely worth owning for now. But it is interesting, like you say, if there is a coaching change, then things can change for him. A couple other players in St. Louis I'll bring up quickly. Ryan O'Reilly had a goal and two assists yesterday. He's up to 14 points in 10 games. I think this might be the year that O'Reilly beats his career high 64 points and gets into the 70 point club. I feel like he's been on pace to do that or close to doing that a couple of years, but he lost games to injury. If he stays healthy this year, it's looking like 70 points could be a cakewalk he's on pace for like 100 right now 
Yeah, yeah, Ryan O'Reilly is looking really good right now. And he's also, it's not just in his counting numbers. Uh, he's shooting, his shooting rates are higher than they've ever been before, uh, which comes out to just a smidge above three shots per game for O'Reilly. And well, uh, three goals on 22 shots at even strength and nine on-ice goals uh, for on 80 on-ice shots on goal are both high. So that means like his on-ice shooting percentage is high. Just tried to frame it a different way. Uh his IPP is also higher than usual at all strengths. That explains some of O'Reilly's 14 points in 10 games, but he really does seem pretty deserving of a lot of it. O'Reilly is paced for 69 points before. That's the high watermark in his career. He's paced for 62, 63, and 66 in each of the last three seasons. It sure seems like this season for O'Reilly could be the one where he breaks through 70, which isn't Often something somebody does for the first time when they're 27 years old, but the change in deployment and surroundings for O'Reilly moving from Buffalo to St. Louis could uh, be enough of a catalyst to get him above the 70 point mark for the first time in his career. Yeah, I feel like moving away from Buffalo is a big change. Like the old Buffalo, of course. Now Buffalo's scoring some goals. But yeah, this is huge for Ryan O'Reilly. I definitely, like, you know, he's doing really well. You might think, oh, now's the time to sell because he's never done this well. No, no, I would be holding on for sure while he's playing with, like, Tarasenko on the power play and doing well on his line. He's actually not on the top line with Tarasenko, but they pretty much have a even top six. I think another guy in that top six is David Perron, who we talked about him on the last show when he was at seven points in seven games. Three more points in three more games last week. So now we're talking about 10 points in 10 games, David Perron. Brian, do you feel like he's not going to be worth holding? Like I, last week you said you're not so into him. His underlying numbers suggest that he's going to slow down. I, like, But he hasn't yet. Doesn't mean he won't. Doesn't mean you're wrong. But I kind of feel like I need to just keep asking you this every week until either A, you are proven wrong, or B, you change your answer, right? And actually the same with David Krejci. But like, let's stick with Perron. Like, are, do you stick with what you said last week? Or has David Perron done anything in these last three games to convince you that maybe he can keep this up? I'm not saying point per game, by the way, but like definitely worthy of being owned in fantasy. He's definitely worth being owned right now in fantasy. Whether he's going to be worth owning in a month, I'm not so sure. Every time you ask me about Perron, I'm just going to pretty much quote his percentages. Right now, he has an on-ice shooting percentage of 14.5%. So that's like definitely at least three to four points too high. His own shooting percentage is 28%. And that's after the last three games in which he scored just once on nine shots. Uh, so these percentages don't pass the sniff test. He also, I'll remind everybody, Perron has worse power play deployment and less five on five ice time compared to last year's big campaign that he had as a Vegas golden Knight. Also keep in mind that Robbie Fabry's coming back into the lineup at some point, And we don't know exactly what that means for David Perron. So no, I am not moving beyond liking Perron as a hot hand that will eventually prove unable to sustain uh, anything above a 60 point pace, which is still good. Uh, like maybe he can even get a 65 point pace, but this current pace is, is wild. Okay. Sell high on David Perron. Brian says, make an offer to the Sean Fourier owner. We'll get to him in a little bit. Except, like, I, I'm still saying he's pretty good, right? 60 points is, is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, that's true. That might actually be where we land on Couturier when we get there. So, okay, <laughs> forget what I said. We'll get to it in a little bit. Brian, remind me to talk about Perron versus Couturier in, like, an hour. But, okay, fine. We'll get to Toronto now. Leafs fans. Austin Matthews injured his shoulder yesterday after a hit from Jacob Trouba. I don't know why I said Leafs fans like that. I like the Leafs. So, uh, what am I doing? I'm just falling into the stereotype of people making fun of Leafs fans. I love the Leafs. I love their fans. And I don't love that Austin Matthews is hurt. He didn't return to the game. We don't know yet how long he'll be out. It's not looking like so, so bad, but he's definitely going to miss the next game. Maybe he'll miss a week. Maybe he'll miss two. Like any missed time is going to be sad for this guy who's like come out so strong this season. 16 points in 11 games for Matthews. Looks like after the injury, Tavares played a bit with Kapanen and Hyman while Kadri jumped to play with 
Marlowe and Marner. And if you recall, Brian, actually last year, Kadri, Marlowe, Marner, that was a great line for stretches last year. So if they could get back together, that could be really great for all three of those guys, especially Kadri coming back into the top six after last week, we were saying, is he maybe a snoozer? Kasperi Kapanen actually took Austin Matthews spot on the top power play. So that would be a great spot for him. So I feel like the kind of obvious fantasy take here is like maybe guys like Kapanen and Kadri benefit from Matthews being out but everyone else hurts. Like maybe even those guys hurt, right? Like when a big star player like Austin Matthews go, gets hurt, it's hard to imagine many players benefiting in terms of their fantasy value. Maybe Kapanen and Kadri. Like what, what do you think overall about like the fantasy implications? Like actually, I was surprised to see a bunch of questions asking how this injury will affect John Tavares if he's out long-term. Like new patron Christopher asked if it's time to sell high on Tavares if Matthews will be out long-term. And I feel like if Tavares was able to be a point-per-game guy on the Islanders, he should be able to do the same on the Leafs with or without Austin Matthews. Like, to me, I feel like Tavares is unaffected for the most part, especially since he doesn't play with Matthews at even strength. But what, what's your take on all these guys? Yeah, so Tavares takes care of himself. We don't need to worry about Matthews being in or out of the lineup. In fact, I would even wonder if Tavares does better with Matthews out of the lineup with a little more ice time as a result Uh, But looking at the effect on the rest of the lineup, potentially, like we don't even know how long Matthews is out for. This could all be completely moot. uh, But assuming he's out for a week or two or whatever, I think Matthews being out hurts Marlowe and Kapanen's value being Matthews' line mates. But uh, of course, we should wait and see how the lines are going to shuffle in response. And also remember that Nazem Kadri is no slouch offensively. This could be a great time to add him to your roster if he's been dropped already because in his current third line role, like he's still a very good hockey player, but that doesn't really show up on fantasy score sheets. Uh, also, going back to Kapanen, don't get too sad about owning him because that top line power play spot will helpfully ease uh, some of the pain of him losing Matthews as a line mate. If Matthews is even out long enough for any of this to matter... Yeah. Also, while we're talking about Kapanen, if uh, if Kasperi does not dress up as a friendly ghost for Halloween, I'll be very disappointed. Cool. That would be good. And yeah, like, like we say, like we when a player gets injured mid-game and then we see how the lines shake out, that's like no guarantee that's going to stick going into next week. So we'll, next episode, if, if Matthews is still out and if it looks like he's going to be out a while, maybe we'll touch base again and actually see what the lines have ended up as. Maybe Kasperi Kapanen doesn't stay on top power play. If he does get on the top power play, Brian, you said he still gets hurt at even strength. Like, like I said, he was playing with Tavares in the last game, so I guess it's not too big of a downgrade to go from Matthews to Tavares, but we'll wait and see. We'll talk about them more next week if it turns out Matthews is out long term let's go to another bad injury from a star player victor hedman wasn't hurt yesterday but he was hurt on friday he suffered an upper body injury versus vegas word is that hedman's going to be out at least a week i was actually surprised to see that hedman hasn't been too great this season he only has two goals and two assists in nine games i feel like if there's like a star player that's not on my fantasy team unless he's doing really really terribly that's the type of player that flies under my radar like if you would have asked me how many points victor hedman has this season i don't like i don't know like 70 point pace 80 point pace i didn't realize he wasn't doing so well so now we have an expected 70-point defenseman having a rough start and is now injured, and we don't exactly know the timeline for when he'll come back. I feel like this is by low time, right? Like, if you need a defenseman, or even if not, go after Victor Hedman right now. Maybe his owner wants to just wash his hands of him, and you could offer someone not as good and get this guy who I feel like is going to be just fine, right? Like, let me know if you see anything concerning in his numbers so far. But overall, I feel like it's going to be hard for you to convince me that Victor Hedman isn't going to at least approach 70 points. Okay, well, listen to this and then tell me what you think. First off, the obvious, uh, when Hedman is struggling, uh, low on-ice shooting percentage, low IPP, mostly coming from the power play where he's not getting in on as many goals as we're used to. Uh, He does have steady shot and shot attempt rates that have me feeling that Hedman is going to generally be okay. Uh, But here is something to give Hedman owners 
or buy low chasers some pause. Hedman is playing four and a half minutes less per night at even strength compared to last year and the years before that. And one figures that this would be to keep Hedman's workload down and his strength and body fresher through the grind of an 82 game play season, which is great for the playoff bound lightning, but not as great for fantasy owners of Victor Hedman. If you look, if you use his even strength point scoring rates from the last couple of years as an estimate, if Hedman loses four and a half minutes of five on five time each night, that adds up to about eight points over the course of an 82-game season. So maybe we're looking at a headman who's closer to 60 points and 70 points this year if that trend does continue, which, well, we'll have to wait for him to get healthy to find the answer to that. Yeah, okay. And, and by the way, Hedman hasn't been the only slow starter on the Lightning. Steven Stamkos got a couple of assists last week, but is still up to only five points in 10 games after the embarrassing 7-1 loss to the Coyotes yesterday. Patron Mika Matty asked us to talk about Stamkos. And yeah, he's been playing with Point and Gourd recently, but yesterday he got switched back to playing with Kucherov and Tyler Johnson was the lucky third piece there. Hard to imagine there's not going to be another shakeup soon after this embarrassing loss yesterday, especially with Andre Palat. He was, he's day-to-day. Maybe he'll come back soon and that will cause the Lions to switch up all over again. Again. But I guess my question for Stamkos is similar to with Kopitar, right? Both had 90 plus points last year and are starting slow this year. Do we need to lower our expectations for Stamkos or do we feel like everything will be perfectly fine? It's just a slow start. No big deal. Apparently Stamkos playing with Kucherov was to some extent the result of his slash their own request to the coach uh, that they be paired together. Uh, here's where Stamkos's main problem lies, though. He is 0 for 13 on the power play. Uh, that's goals for shots on goal uh, when his power play shooting percentage has been up near 20% most years. So that would have given him at least a couple goals there by now. Uh, he scored once on 13 shots at five on five. Uh, so that's a pretty low shooting percentage when he's generally been in the 14, 15% range most years. That adds up to a total of a 3.7 shooting percentage for Steven Stamkos, when, uh, which is like 12% less than the shooting percentage he's had over the last little while up until last season and that up until last season bit is kind of important for Steven Stamkos though I'm wondering well at least just okay I'll put this out there and then we can see if we think it's a trend Uh, last season Stamkos's shooting percentage and even strength individual expected goals four per 60 both sunk and this season that's continued along with a drop in his shot and shot attempt rates Is this a reason to be terribly alarmed? Like, we're not quite 10 games in. There's been a lot of line shuffling, so not yet. And keep in mind, uh, like, I'm I'm painting a picture of a Stamkos who struggled last season. He still played at a 90-point pace, even with a a, a shooting percentage drop-off and an expected goals for drop in his individual numbers. But Stamkos' lower shot rates this season are something to watch. It's still a little early for the 28-year-old to be showing these particular signs of decline. And I'd still expect Stamkos to get those rates and shooting percentages back up because, well, the season's still young and there's time. Uh, he's, his point totals on the whole are also being hampered by a low on ice shooting percentage. So that isn't helping. But maybe we're closer to 80 points than 90 points for Stamkos if he doesn't figure things out, if the trends we're seeing early on in the season don't reverse themselves. Uh, Nonetheless, still a very valuable guy in fantasy. His value is still like off the charts. And uh, he's a player that I'd still be looking to buy low on, even if he's not on track to have quite the year he had last season. Yeah, we actually had an interesting question in our patron-only Facebook group last week, Brian. Remember, like someone was asking if they should trade 
Aho for Stamkos, and I feel like a lot of people were saying no, and I kind of feel like at this point, yeah, now you're concerning me even more with these dropping rates. Like, I think I'd rather have Aho, who's been, like, on fire. Brian, good call over the summer. I wonder if this Aho versus Eichel bet is going to be a lot closer than I expected. So good job there. And I wanted to mention also on Tampa Bay, with Hedman out, of course, Mikhail Sergachev jumped up to the top power play to play with Stamkos, Kucherov, JT Miller, and Alex Killorn. A patron, Kyle, wanted me to ask about Sergachev's upside with Hedman out. I'll tell you one thing, yesterday was not a good game for Mikhail Sergachev in his first game on the top power play i know we don't normally talk about plus minus but i think at this, in this juncture it makes sense to mention he was minus six yesterday in the 7-1 loss like he was on the ice almost every single time that arizona scored like compare that to ryan mcdonough who played more time overall than sergachev but was at zero in his plus minus so obviously mcdonough was able to shut things down while sergachev i'm sure it's not only him and maybe the goalie is somewhat to blame louis domingo was in nets but you know he was kind of a sieve like i don't know like obviously i still feel like sergachev is an easy ad if he's in free agency in your leagues like if he's gonna be on the top power play on tampa bay he's a high pedigree guy he only has forces in 10 games himself maybe he's not great defensively but i'd still want him in my fantasy league if he was available yeah, you do want Mikhail Sergachev on your fantasy team, though we should point out, Elon, and you can tell me if I've got this wrong, but uh, the last game before we went to air that Tampa played, Ryan McDonough was on the top power play unit. So he's actually a guy that you really want while Hedman's out too. If you're rushing to Sergachev thinking he's the heir apparent, uh, it might not be the case. Of course, Sergachev could swap in at any moment onto the top power play unit. And even if he doesn't, uh, Sergachev still puts up decent points, though few peripherals. Uh, and maybe with Hedman out, Sergachev's even strength time on ice goes up too, offering him some more opportunities to put up numbers. So yeah, absolutely worth owning, as is Ryan McDonough. Brian, so where are you getting this McDonough thing? I'm looking at the you know percentages from yesterday's game, and Sergachev played more power play time than McDonough. He was on the top right. power play. But, but which group of forwards played more power play time? When I looked this up, it oh, seemed as though the top power play unit was on the ice for less time than the second unit. You're right, Brian. It was Sergachev with Gourd, Tyler Johnson, Braden Point, and Adam Ernie. Why is Braden Point on the second power play, by the way? And Alex Killorn's on the top power play. I guess they're trying to make them two even units, trying to pull a Toronto from last year. So very interesting yeah grab both of them by the way Sergachev is still unowned in a couple of cupful leagues i'm seeing him at 87.5 percent owned in cupful he's 79 percent owned in actual yahoo so he's high but not 100 owned i'd grab him forget about that last game that was a weird game obviously and brian tampa bay overall a great team it's very rare for them to lose 7-1 you'd especially especially not expect them to lose so badly to arizona but overall i would love to go to tampa bay to see games getting cold in toronto so i would love to go to some warm weather see a great game and if i were to do that i would go and check out our sponsor for this week's episode which are our friends over at SeatGeek to get help buying these tickets brian getting tickets online can be like far too complicated there's hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability it's hard to know who to trust that's why SeatGeek is the way to go SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for the price you're willing to pay there's nothing quite like being there in person and seeking will get you closer to the action for a great value right i like to look i'm just looking right now at tampa bay and the games available you could get toronto and tampa are two very different cities by the way like toronto you have to spend at least a hundred dollars to see a game you could fly to toronto right now for anyone who doesn't have plans next week fly to tampa go see nashville versus tampa it's gonna be a great game on thursday 23 bucks like basically for basically for stanley cup preview I know, crazy. Or and stick around. They'll play the Habs on Saturday. They're playing uh, the Sens on Sunday, so that'll be a lot of fun. But check out Seeky because you could find all these deals. It's also fun because you could find tickets to other things aside from hockey games. You just go to your city and you browse around, see what's there. Then you go check out the cost of tickets, sort by value. It's great. It's a fantastic site. Check it out, Brian. If our listeners want to get an even bigger discount than the already great value, what can they do? 
Yeah, if that $23 ticket is seeming a little steep to you after your flight from Toronto to Tampa, uh, you can take that price down to $3 if it's your first SeatGeek purchase and you're a listener of Keeping Carlson. Our listeners are going to get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. All you need to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code Keeping Today. Just keeping, not today, but do it today. That's the promo code Keeping for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We got we the slash, tickets. We slash they have the tickets. They have it. Life's an event and they have the tickets. Seeking has it. Okay, Brian, speaking of Tampa, how crazy that JT Miller is tied for the team lead with nine points in 10 games, even though he's been in the bottom six. Like, it's so weird. Like, we thought, okay, JT Miller is going to be a great uh, draft guy to draft this season because he's going to probably play on the top line with Stankos and Kucherov. That didn't last, but it hasn't affected him. Of course, five of his nine points have been from the top power play. So obviously that's the main thing helping him. Patron Josh asked if he should try to buy low slash sell high and offer up JT Miller for Sean Couturier, which seems like a good move in theory, but perhaps like JT Miller is for real. And maybe Sean Couturier is someone we should be concerned about. So I'm going to shift over to Philly for a second. Maybe we could talk about both of them. We had another patron, Joel, not my brother, Joel, but another patron named Joel. Uh, my brother's not a patron. actually. Okay. It's not, it's not my brother, Joel, either. Yeah, we both have brothers named Joel. And now we also have a great patron named Joel who asked us to talk about Sean Couturier because he had yet another pointless week. He's now up to 11 games with only three goals. So, Brian, do you care to refresh what your take was on Couturier? I think we talked about him just last week. Should we start being concerned that per- perhaps like Couturier can be taken off the top line or power play at some point? Like, I feel like we were saying before, look, this guy's playing with Giroux. T- line one, power play one. He's going to pick it up. But Philly has lost three games in a row now, has only scored two goals in that span. Maybe at some point soon, someone like Nolan Patrick or someone else gets a shot on that line or power play our take on couture last week was patience pets uh his goal counts are fine Uh, he still has zero assists though Uh, like he's not picking up assists on teammates goals and teammates goals like part of the reason is that teammates goals are not coming as often as they should be and if you're looking at someone like nolan patrick replacing him well nolan patrick also struggling two goals no assists 10 shots in eight games. All of Philadelphia looks messy right now. And you've got Hackstall behind the bench looking like he's on the hot seat as they have one defensive breakdown after another that leads to their goalies having workloads that would be very difficult for anyone to handle gracefully. It it feels like, like I get the sense of what you're saying, Elon, that it feels like a shakeup in Philly seems imminent. They are not meeting expectations. Uh, Whether that shakeup comes because you have a coach in his death throes who is trying everything uh, and anything or there's actually a new coach behind the bench trying something new. Uh, Regardless of the situation, I still have faith that Couturier ends up in a decent spot for putting up points and is able to take advantage of it. Yeah, I, yeah, so I feel like, so what what is your take on Miller for Couturier? Do you make that trade? Quick yes or no? Uh, No, I prefer Couturier. Huh. Who do you prefer? Well, okay, so JT Miller... Last year, he came into Tampa, played 16 and a half minutes per game, 14 minutes at even strength, two and a half minutes on the power play. This year, JT Miller's played an average of 14 minutes per game, just 10 minutes at even strength compared to 14 last year, but four minutes on the power play compared to two and a half on the power play last year. And that's that's very nice. Like, I'm totally cool with JT Miller trading four minutes of five-on-five time for 90 seconds of power play time. They'll also note that those swings 
in deployment, like especially uh, particularly his power play time, they might be exaggerated by early season distributions of like team power play time. Uh, like maybe Tampa's getting more power play opportunities or they're taking longer to score on those opportunities. Some combo of the above might lead to Miller getting a little more time than he did last year. But in any case, what I'm saying here about JT Miller is that I'm not bummed about him being in the top six as long as he holds his top line power play role in which Elon, you mentioned he had five power play points in nine games. That means he's putting up a kind of sustainable pace of 41 power play points or that's not quite 41 power play points, but it's close. Uh, he's for real as a player. And JT Miller holds fantasy value regardless of his five on five deployment for as long as he holds that top power play role. However, Sean Couturier could potentially have it all. He could be on the top line and the top power play. And that's why I still prefer him. You know, the thing is that JT Miller could still have an improvement in his deployment while Sean Couturier could go down. So I don't know. I think I'd maybe take Miller, but that's probably something I'd sound dumb by saying in a little bit. That's that's a tough one. Could you? Okay. So like you're giving that as advice and like there's sometimes I say something as advice, but then if the actual offer came into my inbox, I'd have such a hard time accepting that. If you owned uh, Miller and or couturier and someone offered you miller for him would could you click accept on that i don't know like it would be hard i wouldn't do it right away i would think about it i would message you i would post on the <laughs> facebook group i'd be like what do you guys think and then someone would be like i just asked about this didn't i just say that someone else oh yeah joel asked if he should make that trade so oh no no joel was asking about couturier no one actually actually cares about this someone oh josh asked if if he should make that trade and i'd be like okay let's go back to josh's question now take it really seriously because this is me we're talking about but yeah i don't know it would be tough it wouldn't be obvious and by the way we had a question about uh someone asked on Twitter asked a really interesting question like is there a case for players like has it happened before that a player had a really good season even though he was in the bottom six but was on the top power play and the name that came to mind was Sam Gagne remember a couple of years ago for Columbus was having a really amazing season as a power play specialist but the thing is JT Miller could get in that top six so the interesting situation to follow in Tampa Bay those lines are probably going to get shaken up a bunch of times though before the end of the season so it's hard to really like set your watch to them which actually makes JT Miller look better but okay since we're on Philly might as well bring up that Mikhail Neuverth returned yesterday and promptly let in six goals on 22 shots to the Islanders for a 727 save percentage yowza I had added Mikhail Neuverth to stash an IR while he was injured in a couple of leagues I felt pretty smart about it like you know I got him then when he comes back hey who knows he might be the starting goalie since Elliot struggled Luckily, I didn't take him out of IR for yesterday's game, which is good because that would have been a complete disaster. Is there a point to hold Neuberth at this point if other people did the same thing? I assume Elliot gets back in the net on Tuesday in Anaheim, but you know he's been terrible himself. He has an 886 save percentage in eight games. Calvin Pickard is still around. He has an 833 save percentage in three games. So Philly just hasn't been getting the goaltending. I wonder if at some point they call up Carter Hart, though Carter Hart's apparently not doing well in the minors right now. He has an 865 save, save percentage in four games with Lee Valley. So if you're the Philadelphia Flyers right now, it's just like, ah, oh, can we stop a puck? Please, especially now that they're having trouble scoring goals compared to previous seasons, they need goaltending more than ever. Yeah, they do. Wouldn't it be so great if they could solve that problem with one of their three goalies, each who has had good moments at some points in their NHL career, not having good moments now. I was watching, or Elon, as you would say, scouting uh, this game that they played on Saturday against the Islanders. And as a new Neuverth owner myself, I was trying so hard to forgive the goals against. Uh, Dave's in the chat. He was watching me live in our patron Facebook group saying, oh yeah, that first goal he shouldn't have had, uh, like it was a tip. Uh, there was like the player was all alone in front of him. Uh, the second was a defensive breakdown that led to uh, the goal scorer to be like totally alone to enter the slot and just rip one. Uh, I think it went above Neuver's shoulder. And then from that point on, I lost track and got sad because really it's hard to, for, it's hard to forgive 
goals once uh, like your stat lines at 13 saves on 16 shots and it's not improving the rest of the way. Um, you heard me say that Philly is doing a terrible job defending their goalies. And I've previously made the argument that Brian Elliott has actually been better than his numbers show because of the degree to which he's been left exposed by the team in front of him. Uh, but it seems like that's not about to get fixed. So we're going to need a Philadelphia goaltender to stand on his head. Uh, the shellacking seem like they're going to continue until Philadelphia sorts out their defensive issues. And so it, it really is going to be a Philadelphia goaltender against the world. I do think it's possible that Neuwirth is given another chance to be that goaltender. Like he was just coming back, shaking off rust, got hung out to dry. No big deal. Uh, so I feel like the answer is going to lie with one of those three. Um, Carter Hart often brought up as a, a possible solution to this problem. Uh, one of our favorite Philadelphia beat guys, Dave Isaac, who writes for the Courier Post, uh, recently wrote about Carter Hart's struggles in the AHL so far this year and how the wait for Hart to have a shot at making an NHL impact is more being measured in seasons rather than days or weeks or even months. So I think the Flyers are going to keep looking for one of their three current goalies, Neuwirth, Elliott, or Pickard, to be a savior, and that Hart is not going to be uh, called upon to even enter this mess of a situation. Yeah, you'd think at some point, though, they're going to wave one of these guys, try to send them to the minors. They don't want to hold three goals. They'll probably wave Pickard. Probably they'll just hope no one claims and probably no one will, you would think. But if they do, then they're going to be in trouble because obviously Neuwirth is going to get injured at some point. Then all of a sudden they'll only have, oh, then they could call up like Stoli the goalie or Lion and they'll be in the same mess as they were in last year. So good good for them. Okay, uh, <laughs> let's go to the Vegas Golden Knights. They had both a significant injury and outjury last week. And I actually asked the patrons to help me come up with a word for this. Here are some of the suggestions. Dave suggested just a jury. So it covers both. Victor said an in an injouchery, which is fun. Brad said an in and out burger. Brad also suggested the gif of grandpa system entering <laughs> the gif of grandpa Simpson entering and leaving a bar. It's a really funny gif. I don't know how we would call that every it's week. It's a burlesque house. A burlesque house. I, I, I apologize. Uh, Dave suggested a double edge toward one inward and one outward. I kind of like in and out burger. I don't know. Maybe we get a sponsorship out of it. So yeah, Vegas has had an in and out burger last week. Alex Tuck returned from his lower body injury on Wednesday, but then Max Pacioretty went down with an upper body injury on Friday. He's day to day. He's not playing today. We don't know how long he'll be out yet. Before Pacioretty went down, I had a chat with my good friend, poker legend and Vegas Golden Knights super fan, Daniel Negreanu, about what was going on with the Golden Knights. And here's what Dan said. I call him Dan. You know, we're so close. I don't even call him Dan. I call him Dan. So Dan said, Pacioretty is absolute S. And he didn't say S, by the way. But Brian gets mad at me if I swear. He does not pass. He is the cause of the power play troubles for Vegas. The play ends when he touches the puck with a typically terrible choice to shoot. Always. He is a train wreck and without Stasny, I can't see how he produces. Tuck helps though. He looked amazing. And then I asked Danny, another fun name I call him, who he'd prefer between Tuck and Pacioretty in fantasy. And he said, after what I've seen, Tuck is the one on the upswing, Patches on the downswing. I genuinely take Tuck in most formats. I don't see how they keep putting Patches on the power play. Gallant can't be that stupid. It's dead last in the league. Tuck is creating offense and also useful on zone entries on the power play. He has the skill and speed to make it happen and the size, which makes him tough to deal with. Wow. Like it was really like insightful take. I really appreciated hearing it. And then on Friday versus Tampa, Tuck was on the top power play. And actually before the patch ready injury, even Tuck got on the top power play. And hey, he got a power play assist. The nag dog called it. Another fun name I have for him. He actually, well, he has names for me too, by the way. Like we're, we're that close. 
<laughs> it's that kind of friendship. Uh, so it looks like Pacioretty won't be out long. But Brian, I'm curious to get your take on this. Like, it looks like we've got a second line of Tuck, Howla, and Pacioretty for as long as Stasny is out, assuming that Pacioretty comes back soon. Tuck on the top power play. Who would you prefer between the two? Is Pacioretty a clear by low at this point, as we've said before? Or like at this point, he has two goals in 10 games and he's been bumped from the top power play. So do you think it's time to maybe give up on Pacioretty at least until Stasny is back? Like, maybe he's just not going to be useful in fantasy. So what does it mean to give up on Pacioretty, though? Like, does it mean you hold him and you're just resigned to it? Or you're you're actually thinking of dropping him? Yeah, I mean, he's only got two goals. I get the thing is he's taking a lot of shots. So that's probably going to be the reason why you're going to say to hold on. But I assumed he was at least going to be on the top power play. But it's Alex Tuck there in his spot. Yeah, and Tuck isn't an undeserving person to get up on that top unit. Uh, but you're not going to be surprised to hear that I still like Max Pacioretty. But at the same time, maybe you will be surprised that I am. Like, I'm just beginning to run out of patience and and get towards the place where your buddy Dan is right now. Uh, like, I'm wary of the fact that Pacioretty has continued to have a subpar shooting percentage for going on nearly his last 100 games now. Uh, Pacioretty has always been a shoot-first player, and that's not generally an issue if he scores on like one in 10 or one in 12 shots, but at five on five uh, this season and most of last, it's been more like one out of 20 shots are going in. And that is a, a good way to get people to run out of patience with you. Uh, mind you, Pacioretty's teammates aren't faring much better. His on-ice shooting percentage to even strength is at 1.56%. While Pacioretty has been on the ice, the Golden Knights have scored just once on 64 shots. Um, that's bad. Usually your on-ice shooting percentage as a team at even strength is closer like to 8 9%. Uh, 1.56 is awful. On the power play, Pacioretty has yet to score on six power play shots. His teammates have scored twice on 25 shots, which is also a bad power play on-ice shooting percentage. And Pacioretty did not pick up a point on either of those two goals scored on the power play while he was on the ice. So things aren't going well for him. Things aren't going well for anyone while he's on the ice. The sunny side in all of this about Pacioretty is that there's still legit reason to hope that his shooting percentage pa- uh, bounces back and that he's not going to be stuck where he is forevermore. Pacioretty's individual expected goals for rates at even strength, it, it's, they're actually way up compared to last year's number, which was down in the dumps and had been a continuation of a three-year decline in the category during his final years in Montreal. Uh, Vegas as a whole seems to have stuff to figure out. And also keep in mind that Pacioretty, uh, as you mentioned, Elon, he's had Eric Howla as his centerman, which is not ideal being off the top power play unit, also smart. So like these are reasons to still be down on him in the short term, but not in the long term. So if you own him or you see him getting dropped, I'd still be interested in owning Pacioretty. Uh, as for Alex Tuck, like I'm still more interested in owning Pacioretty than Tuck long-term. Uh, Tuck is playing on the same even strength line as Pacioretty, uh, but he does have that top power play spot and has looked good in his first action of the season. We've liked Tuck as a mostly unheralded guy with some legit upside to him, and the top power play is a great place for him to begin realizing it. I still prefer Patches to him, but Tuck is also someone that everybody should be owning or at least watching. Well, actually, Brian, it looks like the members of the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patriot Fantasy League, the Kakupful, are way ahead of you. He's now owned in 100% of Kakupful divisions, even though he's only owned in 13% of Yahoo. So Tuck is another Vince Dunn in that the patrons that play in this very challenging league, they know what's up. They've grabbed Alex Tuck. Patch Reddy also still owned in 100% of Kakupful leagues. I wonder whose number will go down first. 
Tuck, yeah, that top power play. I don't know, Brian. It'll be interesting to see how long this lasts. I actually have Tuck in one of my leagues. I just added him in the PHL league. And Jordan Everly got dropped by someone. And I was debating for a long time, should I drop Tuck for Everly? But then I decided to just hold Tuck as Everly. I don't know. But he's in a good spot, too. I just want to see what Tuck can do now that he's back. And by the way, another player who returned for Vegas on Friday was Derek Englund, who has zero fantasy value. But his return caused Brad Hunt to get benched, which thus led to Shea Theodore getting back on the top power play because Brad Hunt had been stealing that time. And while Shea Theodore didn't get uh, in on the power play goal that was scored by Vegas on Friday, he did score his first goal this season at even strength, bringing him to a sad one goal and one assist in 10 games. And by the way, my friend Daniel Negreanu, he called it on Twitter. He said Shea Theodore is going to get a point today, and he totally did. So another great call for Danny Boy. Uh, With his top power play job back now, do you think that Shea Theodore is worth adding if he's been dropped to free agency after his cold start? Like, I'd be curious, like, who would you prefer between, say, Shea Theodore and Vince Dunn at this point? I will take Shea Theodore. He's more likely to hold his power play role and has better five-on-five deployment. And he's averaging three shots per game so far. This is new for him. It's a nice jump up from the two shots per game he averaged last year. Just even more reason to be interested in him. Okay, so let's go to another team now. Yeah, I like Shea Theodore. I have him in the cupful. I'm still holding on. I didn't drop for Vince Dunn when I had the chance. Maybe I'll regret that one day. Uh, Vancouver's also been in and out burgering big time. They've had Edler, Benji, and Nielsen. In and outy, I think, would do the job. Yeah, but I don't know, because also we we say bangers and mash. You know, that was a phrase that we somewhat came up with for leagues that count hits and stuff. But that's like a food reference. I think we we're like building a, a menu of, <laughs> of food that we say. So I got- For the future nacho restaurant. Tweeted us at Keepin Carlson if you like in and out burgering as the term for a team that loses and gains players from into injury. So, Brian, before you rudely interrupted, Vancouver, they're getting hit hard with injuries. Alex Edler, Sven Berchi, Anders Nilsson are all out, but Besser and Pedersen are back in the fold. So, I think they win the trade, but still, I think they'd rather have all of these guys. Brutal news for Edler, by the way. He hurt his knee. Word came out today that it's going to be three to six weeks. It's actually a little bit better than a lot of people thought it was going to be like long, long term. Three to six weeks isn't so, so bad, I guess. And I guess that's the risk that we took when we drafted him. We told everyone like Edler could be really good this year, but there's a good chance he'll get injured. And here it is. Looks like Derek Pouliot got on the top power play yesterday with Besser, Horvat, Pedersen, and Goldobin, Nikolai Goldobin. So keep your eye on him. But anyways, uh, Derek Pouliot, like, I feel like overall this could be a decent power play if they have a quarterback who knows what he's doing. Like Besser and Horvat and Pedersen are all really good. Do you think that Pouliot could be that guy? Do you have any interest in him in fantasy? Or do you think he's not going to hold that job for long? And even if he does, he's not going to get many points. I guess I'm interested as long as he's there. If you have limited moves, though, or, you know, you don't know if you want to drop a player who's going to help you long term, I'm not sure I would I would be rushing to add him. I'm not convinced that Pouliot is the one who's going to hold that spot while Edler's out. But that's to his like in his favor, there are not so many alternatives to Pouliot. Uh, the one person you might want to be keeping an eye on is Ben Hutton, uh, who years ago we were like, this could be the guy. And he wasn't the guy and he probably still isn't the guy, but he is currently the guy who's getting the next best blue line power play deployment behind Pouliot. I'll also say that if there was ever a reason to actually run with the five forward power play experiment that Florida tried on their team, even though they had Keith Yandel, uh, Vancouver's dearth of power play quarterbacks would be the reason to try five forwards. So there's kind of a dearth of forward talent there too. So yeah. might might be tricky either way. Also, I'd be worried about them letting in goals on the power play. Like, I wonder if that would just lead to it being basically not a power play and both teams having an equal chance to score during that two-minute stretch. Uh, Brian, by the way, the real guy I'm interested in now, if there's anyone on Vancouver who might be available in your free agency, is Nikolai Goldobin. He was also not only on the top power play, but playing on the top line with Brock Besser and Pedersen. So, like... 
holy cow, that's a really good spot for him. Perhaps this will last at least until Sven Berchi is back. Usually it's Berchi with Besser and Horvat, but here, like I'm saying, Pedersen with Besser and Nikolai Goldobin. Currently, Berchi is on the IR with an upper body injury, so we don't know how long he'll be out. No points yesterday. Like, Vancouver was terrible yesterday. But uh, Godobin's got to be worth a stream in the spot right now while he's on the top line and top power play with Pedersen and Besser, right? Yeah, and Goldobin might actually be good too. Like, let's not just look at his deployment. Let's consider him as an individual, not being a coattail rider who's only valuable. Well, okay, he's still largely valuable because of who he plays with, but he also, like, is contributing to the offense. He's not just along for the ride in the sidecar. Um, but with Besser, that's good. that's a great place for him to be. Of course, any good player is made better by the players around him. So he's worth a stream if uh, he and his schedule fit well into your lineup. That's Nikolai Goldobin. Yeah, and I believe I looked at this before. I think that Vancouver's schedule might be the best of all of the teams next week. I'm just bringing this up now. Most teams are playing on a very heavy Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday schedule, but Vancouver plays Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So you could likely get three games out of your Vancouver ad, and you won't get three games out of anyone else that you add if you're a team with bench spots and you have to sit someone on a given day. So yeah, take a look at Goldobin. Take a look maybe at Derek Pouliot if you want to try to run with Vancouver. It's too bad they're the team. Like, you know, one of the teams that is the hardest to find someone useful for in free agency they're the team with the great schedule next week by the way should Bo Horvat owners be panicking at this point he was off to an amazing start nine points in his first 10 games pointless in his last two though and yesterday he was playing with Louis Erickson and Brendan Leipzig not playing with Brock Besser who returned is it maybe like sell high time or should we just assume that Horvat gets back with Besser at least when Berchi returns if not sooner I get the concern with the lineup shuffle, but I wouldn't lose my cool. Horvat has been playing with Besser so much in the last little while. Uh, He still has his top power play spot where he's been effective. And so I imagine Vancouver is just experimenting for the time being. Uh, Horvat is a great sell high for anyone who you can count on to get you 60 points or more. Uh, Well, maybe a little higher than that if you're taking the risk of selling high on him after the great start he had. Uh, But otherwise, just hang on. And wait for things to play out. I don't think he is going to be uh, in this poor shape deployment-wise for too long. Okay, fair enough. And then, okay, Anders Nilsson also heard he has a fractured finger. He'll be out a few weeks. Maybe Thatcher Demko will get called up and get a game or two. And we haven't heard yet who's going to get called up. I assume it's probably just best to assume Markstrom gets ridden hard with Nilsson out. He's going to get a ton of games. Yeah, and if if Thatcher Demko does get called up, that's a sign that the Canucks want to play him. I'm guessing. Like they, I imagine they're not going to call him up to sit on the bench while Markstrom uh, just runs the table with getting starts. So keep an eye on who the call-up is. If it's anybody but Demko, then Markstrom is probably going to get plenty of starts for as long as Nilsson's out. Yeah, so I guess kind of uh, lucky is is a hard word to use for a team that got destroyed yesterday. Like Markstrom owners weren't happy to have him yesterday, but I guess lucky for him because it looked like Nilsson was eating into his games. And now Markstrom, he gets a nice long time as probably the starter and hopefully he'll not be terrible, even though Vancouver is not looking too great overall. Okay, let's go to some outjuries now. We're done with injuries. Let's talk about Seth Jones, who returned from his MCL sprain on Tuesday for Columbus. He logged 27 minutes and 24 seconds that day in a 4-1 loss to the surging Arizona Coyotes. He had no points in that game, but he did a five shots and three blocks. He then scored a goal on four shots in the 7-4 win versus St. Louis on Thursday and then nothing again yesterday in the 5-4 win over Buffalo. But like he's probably been disappointing for his owners that he has only one point in the team's like 12 goals they've scored over the last two games. But obviously, Brian, this is nothing to worry about, right? Like Seth Jones is going to get big minutes. He's on the top power play. He's a stud. He's going to get a ton of points moving forward, right? 
Yeah, be cool if you own Seth Jones. Just to contextualize better, Elon, you said Columbus scored 12 goals in the last couple of games. Jones himself was on the ice for six of them. Uh, it still doesn't look much better, though, because he only got a point on one. But that's not the way it usually goes. That's that's an I, that's exactly what IPP is, right? How many points you get on the goals that are scored uh, while you're on the ice. How many times you, you, you collect a point on those. And Seth Jones is going to be fine that way. He also got his top power play spot back. Uh, so that's great news. Uh, he's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine for Seth Jones owners. Yeah, be happy that you have him. Smart job drafting him and stashing him in IR when you had the chance. Okay, Zach Wierenski, by the way, he's finally, he's a stud also. He doesn't care if he's off the top power play. He's on a five-game point streak. He has eight points in 10 games so far on the season. Brian, who's your call right now? Like, not most valuable fantasy owners, because I feel like Jones is more valuable in multi-category leagues because he does the hits and the blocks and the shots and everything. But who do you think is going to get more points for the rest of the season between Wierenski and Jones? I'm going to take Seth Jones. Zach Wierenski has been great, but half of his points came on the power play where he now has a smaller role with Jones in the lineup. To Wierenski's credit, he did pick up two points in second unit minutes a couple games ago, uh, but you can't expect that uh, sort of production to continue from the second unit. And Seth Jones, we know he's going to be good wherever, even if he's off the top power play unit. Wierenski is more reliant on having that top power play role to get his points. So without knowing who is going to be on that top unit and when Jones is the more dependable source of fantasy production for me. Yeah, I agree. Prince Reyes agrees in the chat room here. Jones greater than Wierenski, but both are great guys to have on your fantasy team right now because Columbus is scoring a lot of goals. Artemi Panarin has six points in his last two games. He's up to 15 points in 10 games on the season. Like, Panarin's amazing. Like, just reminding everyone how amazing he is. I don't even have a question for you, Brian. Also, anyone who drafted Cam Atkinson is reaping the benefits. 11 points in 10 games now for him. I feel like the main player we got to talk about on Columbus is Sergei Bobrovsky, who for some reason didn't get the start yesterday versus the Sabres. Yunus Corposalo got the second start in a row because he was also in the net for the 7-4 win over the Blues. And this is the second time this has happened this year where Corposalo's played a couple games in a row. Usually backups only play on back-to-backs. They're not getting multiple games in a row on non-back-to-back situations. Now Corposalo has four wins in four games, though it's with a pretty terrible 897 save percentage. So obviously he's getting a lot of run support. Columbus, they could score some goals. But Bobrovsky's actually been worse. He has an 872 save percentage in six games. He's two and four on the season. Brian, do you think we're starting to be looking at a goalie controversy here? Or at the very least, should we expect Corpusalo to get a lot more than the 18 starts he got last year? So far, he's on pace for 32 starts. Of course, we also have to keep in mind in this discussion, Bobrovsky is an unrestricted free agent at season's end. If Columbus doesn't think that Bob is going to resign, maybe it makes sense to play Corpusalo more. Like, why is this happening? And are you concerned? You're a Bobrovsky owner. I am a Bobrovsky owner. And one thing I've noticed, being a Bobrovsky owner, wondering if this is ever going to end, there are only a small handful of starters who have worse expected save percentages than Sergei Bobrovsky. Corpusalo, uh, albeit with less ice time, is one of those goalies who has a, a lower expected save percentage, which means that uh, beyond having an actually better save percentage, Corpusalo has also outplayed Bobrovsky in terms of goals saved above average. Uh, but zooming back out on the whole, This all means that Columbus is kind of blowing it on defense altogether. Having Seth Jones back should help as he works his, uh, gets comfortable back in the lineup and the team resets their system around him. I don't think we're seeing a goalie controversy in Columbus, but we are seeing a different way of goalie deployment uh, for the Blue Jackets. Apparently, this could be a thing through the season where Corpusalo starts a couple games in a row uh, just to give Bob a rest. Uh, so this is going to hurt anyone counting on Bobrovsky to rack up the starts and saves that he has in the past. 
But I don't believe that this whole Corpus Allo Bob balance extends uh, to being a, a danger for Bobrovsky of losing the number one job just yet. Um, I think, if anything, Corpus Allo's added starts are more a premeditated strategy rather than a reactive uh, choice to Bobrovsky struggling. Yeah, well, either way, like even if like I'm not too worried either about Bobrovsky like losing the number one goalie job, but I am worried that if you drafted him as someone that you thought was going to be a workhorse like he was last year, looks like that's not happening. So bummer, nothing you can do about it. I don't know. Just uh, hope that at least he plays better sooner. I'm sure he will. Uh, Alex Galchenyuk, another outjury. He had a season debut on the same game as Seth Jones on Tuesday. The two teams played against each other, Arizona versus Columbus. How about that? And like Jones, Galchenyuk didn't get any points in his return, but he has put up an assist in each of his two subsequent games. All wins, by the way. Arizona has a three-game winning streak now, and those are all games where Alex Galchenyuk has been back. Is that a coincidence? I don't know. Clearly, he's a big part of the team. He jumped right into top deployment. He's been playing with Clayton Keller on the top line. Richard Panic was the third there yesterday versus Tampa in that huge win. The top power play has been Galchenyuk, Stepan, and Christian Fisher, and of course, Oliver ekman Larson. Uh, with Galchenyuk taking the spot that we expected Stepan to hold with Keller, I feel like Galchenyuk is in for a big season. Do you concur? And also, are you worried about Stepan right now? We thought that Stepan and Keller would be together. Now with Galchenyuk back, maybe it's Galchenyuk. And I feel like Galchenyuk has a higher ceiling than Stepan. He's someone that we've been waiting to see get top deployment. I don't know. I feel like things are looking really good for Galchenyuk right now. I'd really love to grab him in a league if I could get him for not too high a price. I concur that Galchenyuk could be on track to have a really great season. I commented uh, in our Facebook patrons only group on a thread earlier this week uh, and said that Galchenyuk is a legit top line center and I could see him and Keller clicking well enough to end up sticking together for this season and doing wonderful things together beyond that even like not quite a McKinnon Rantanen type duo, but a very capable scoring duo nonetheless and uh, as a result, I am worried about Derek Stepan. Uh, not a whole lot to work with in Arizona if Keller's not on your wing. Uh, Stepan still has his top-line power play spot. But if he stays as the second-line center, then you can pretty much just flip his and Galchenyuk's projections. In fact, I might even take a couple off of Stepan because he's very much a, a, a setup centerman. And you just wonder who is around him. To, to set up anymore. Uh, and I also like to think Galchenyuk has a higher ceiling. So flip their projections and then lower the floor for the second line center and raise the ceiling for the first line center. Yeah, okay. I think everyone's got that. By the way, Brian, can I make a small request? I don't like when you say top line power play. It's very confusing to me. There's top line and there's top power okay. play. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Top power play unit. I, I want to transition to just being able to say PP1. Do it. Moving Do you think forward. that works? PIP1? Yeah. PIPUN? No, I like PP1. PIPUN? Let's stick with PP1. <laughs> okay. By the way, with the team healthy, Arizona is looking really good. Like I said, they're on a three-game winning streak. They just destroyed Tampa 7-1 yesterday. I feel like that's nothing to be taken lightly. Is Arizona finally like going to be... Like, we saw last year at the end of the season when they won a bunch of games. They looked like they could be a playoff contender. They didn't start too strong. But now with everyone healthy, it's looking really good. And like... By the way, if they're a good team now, which it seems like they are, or at least a decent team, unless you tell me this has all been luck. I don't know. I don't know how you luck your way into a 7-1 win over Tampa. But anyway, like, is this the kind of team where potentially you might want to grab the backup goalie, Darcy Kemper, if it's like a deepish league where a lot of backups are owned? I'm in one league, and I don't want to blow it up here, but like where almost all the backup goalies are owned, but Kemper is still available. And like Ranta missed a couple games last week with an illness. Kemper was amazing. He's now up to a 957 save percentage in the three games he's played. 
Uh, Grant has been fantastic as well. He's got a much more sustainable 921 save percentage. I feel like that's something Ranta could even keep up. But perhaps with Ranta having had all those injury troubles last year, Camper could get a decent number of games. And maybe they just want to keep Ranta fresh even. Like, I feel like Camper's going to play a non-insignificant number of games. And it seems like he could be good. Seems like this team is good. I just want to get your barometer of, is Darcy Camper still like a nothing, nobody, forget about him, maybe stream him in when he plays? Or is he worth considering owning in a league where generally some backups are owned? If your format is going to reward you for holding a backup goalie on your roster who isn't really going to play unless the number one is injured, uh, then sure, go for it. Uh, So that's pretty much a no. Uh, The answer behind the answer, though, if you are considering adding Kemper, is that Arizona is actually looking like a pretty capable squad and that even with Kemper in their crease, they might be able to overcome that disadvantage and win for him on a given night. So uh, good for a stream. I I don't know that I'd want to own him, though. Yeah, by the way, uh, patron here, PJ asked in the chat room, is it worth using Atkinson as a trade piece, like in a sell high? Atkinson, I think, is really good. We didn't, we're not going to touch on him too much. We got a lot of players to get to. He's on the, he's playing with Panarin. He's good. Like, if you get Samkos for him, then sure. But I don't consider him like a sell high by any means. Uh, Brian, okay, let's move on to the next team. I think you might be wrong about Kemper not playing many games. I feel like there's something to my suggestion that Arizona doesn't want to ride Ronta too hard if Kemper can be good like he has been. So they could at least like give him. Yeah, but you you would want to add and use a roster spot on Darcy Kemper while that happens, like despite Kemper's checkered history too. I don't know. Like I, I'm talking about in a league where some backups are like where Aaron Dell is owned. I feel like Darcy Kemper at this point, I'd rather have an Aaron Dell. So take that. Huh, I disagree. Fair enough. I'm putting it out there and we'll discuss throughout the season who turns out to be more right about Darcy Kemper. But he's looking good for a stream. Anyways, maybe like he really was an good. 899 in 10 games in Arizona last season. Just I know, but Arizona's looking so yummy now. They're a good team. He was a 932 with LA also last season. Yeah, he's good when he's on a good team. I think. Generally, he's been bad though. He was good on Minnesota at some point. But no, anyway. he wasn't. He was so inconsistent on Minnesota. Yeah, but as a backup, maybe he can be decent. Like when he's a starter, he's not good. I grant you that. But I think as a backup, he could be decent. Okay, we got to move on. Uh, 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 A quality start percentage below 50%. Yes. Uh, Again, I am saying as a backup, I think he could be good. And I think he could play well in the games he gets. Uh, So let's move on to hot streaks, cold streaks, line combination changes, all that great stuff. But first question, let's go to the Rangers. Has Neil Pionk taken over as the top power play D-man? And that's actually a stupid question because we know the answer. The answer is yes. Back on October 17th, Pionk started getting some power play time. He put up three assists, two power play assists versus Washington. So three assists overall, two of them on the power play. Then over the next three games, his ice ice time kept rising and rising. He got on the top power play and he put up three more assists all on the power play. So that's six assists in four games going into today. Like his last four games, he had had six assists, five of them on the power play. And... Neil Pionk, he played 28 minutes and 12 seconds on Friday. Today versus LA, he went pointless, but he still led his team in both power play time on ice and overall time on ice. And even though he didn't get a point, he had three hits, three blocks, three shots. So he's helping you in a multi-category league. I'm really into this Neil Pionk guy. By the way, Kevin Shattenkirk has been seeing less than 20 minutes per game consistently. He's been slumming it down on the second power play, and he only has two assists in 10 games so far. Another pointless showing today. Only one sad shot for Kevin. There's nothing good to say about Shattenkirk right now. So here are my two, I think, obvious questions to you. Number one, is Neil Pionk a must-add as the second Vince Dunn on this show? Is he Vince Dunning just as good as Vince Dunn can do? Maybe he's even better. And second question, is it time to give up on Shattenkirk? At least till he gets on the top power play. We have Shattenkirk in our joint league, and I kind of feel like we could drop him and nobody would care. Like, normally, I know you say you don't want to just drop someone because he's slumping, but... I mean, name me one defenseman who's ever been worth owning, not on the top power play and getting less than 20 minutes per game. It seems like a guy that's not very valuable, except obviously he has a good career history. 
Yeah, well, that's it with Shattenkirk, right? What do you have Kevin Shattenkirk for if this is how you plan to deploy him all season long? And if you plan him to deploy him this way, why do you, why are you holding him? Maybe he'll get, I don't know what the plan is in New York, except it seems pretty clear. Elon, you and I had a conversation uh, throughout the Almanac, and I think after that too, about whether this could be a year where the Rangers actually contend or whether they re- they were rebuilding. It, it, it generally centered around Henrik Lundqvist and what we can expect to see from him this year. And I contended that uh, they're a rebuilding team and that affects Lundqvist negatively. And it seems like we were open to seeing what the first what direction the first 10 games pointed the Rangers in. And uh, we see now they're 3-7-1 and one after tonight's loss to L.A., so what does this mean for Shattenkirk? I have no idea. I don't know what you do with Shattenkirk on a rebuilding team. He's too young, still too talented to still like to just be that like vet grizzled veteran presence who's going to help the young ones find their way and set the example of how to behave and how to go on road trips or whatever they expect the grizzled vets to do. He has too much to offer to sink into that role. So I don't know what's going to happen with him. And I'm very unhappy as an owner of him in a couple of leagues that uh, he's not given an opportunity instead. Like, I, don't get me wrong. I'm happy to see things happening for Neil Pionk. The funny thing about Pionk is that we liked him last year when he got a shot last season. Uh, and then the Rangers didn't like him at all uh, and cut his opportunity short, despite the nice production. And it just got cut off. And this was when Shattenkirk was injured. So it's like, why not put him there? And now I find myself like the Rangers have bought in, but I'm being cautious towards him because he's blowing it in the big minutes that he's getting at even strength. Pionk at even strength has been on the ice for just two goals, but nine goals against and his relative uh, shot attempt share numbers are ugly too, which means even for a New York Ranger, he is losing a lot of shot attempt battles in 2018-19. Even if Pionk's five-on-five deployment disappears completely as a result of his poor defensive play there. It's not such a big deal, though, because he's only put up a single even-strength point in 12 games. Pyong's bread and butter, and what he stands to lose is that top power play role where he's picked up an assist on all five goals that have been scored with him on the ice. Those five goals have come on 16 power play shots, though. Uh, That's a pretty high conversion rate. And so I expect the Rangers to score fewer power play goals than they have been, uh, given their power play shooting rates. And on top of that, I don't expect Pionk to be able to continue getting in on each and every one of them. I'm holding a candle for Shattenkirk. But in the meantime, if Pionk is a PP1QB, then he's worth a look for a lot of rosters. Yeah, he's owned in 100% of the cupful leagues for whatever that's worth. And Shattenkirk, I don't know. I think I'm ready to drop him. I'm ready to suggest dropping him in some leagues. Not that I think he's going to be bad forever, but I do think that uh, no one wants him right now. I feel like you could drop him. And then if you see, like, you know, in game day practice lines that Shattenkirk's practicing back on the top power play, you can grab him back, you know, before he actually starts producing. But I, I think you could let him go for now. I have a feeling that right now, Kevin Shattenkirk's still owned in 100% of cupful leagues. I'll bet you that number is not going to be 100 after a week or two if this deployment continues and also brian about pionk he's like for sure by the way if he loses some even strength time i agree with you like it's not that big a deal for his offense that would be a big deal for all these hits and blocks that he's been getting i assume it's the extra ice time that's helping him get all of these peripherals and i want to suggest like everyone i see on twitter and i know you've been saying like pionk has a terrible course he like he's not playing well keep in mind like he's pretty new to the league he hasn't played too many games like i like to think of it as like brian you used to be like a substitute teacher i assume right and then you did that for a while before you became a full-time teacher yeah i you could also just go with our podcast analogy too like our early shows are pretty weak 
Yeah, but I feel like, you know, over time, you improve. And I don't know, I just feel like Neil Pionk, it's too early to just be like, this guy's terrible. He has bad coursey. Like, he gives up the puck more than he, you know, he, like, lets in more shots than he takes. Like, he's getting the ice time. Obviously, the coach <laughs> seeing something maybe in practice. Or, you know, like, this team isn't going to, you're right, Brian. Like, we were, I was dumb in saying that I thought Rangers could be decent this year. They're looking like they're going to be bad. So why not let Pionk work out these deficiencies, give him, like, a nice long leash and see what he could do. He clearly has the offensive chops. Maybe he could figure out his defense. I don't know. Like, I'm not too concerned about the high course he just yet, just because he's so new to the league and probably still learning. So what I'll say in response to that is that if he's having trouble defensively, then I get it. There is a learning curve in the NHL. And of course, maybe he just needs some time before he can win more shot attempt battles. But like, why give him 27 minutes a night while he's figuring it out? Why don't you, like most teams will give, like, look at how Dalin started the year and how Carl, like, I mean, he's not in this class of players, but look at how every defenseman essentially starts their career uh, starting at four, like bottom pairing minutes and middle four, then eventually top pairing if they can hack it. It seems like they're just throwing Neil Pionk to the wolves at even strength for no benefit, uh, like for him, for well, anyone. There is benefit for him. He's getting a crap load of points. It's, it's but great. not at even strength. So it doesn't matter. I guess you're right. So yeah, we'll see. Like, I think the difference between someone like Darlene and Pionk for this season is Buffalo is going to try to do something this year. And the Rangers, I think, are very comfortable losing games, hopefully getting a top draft pick, getting Hughes. So I don't know, like maybe they're just going to be like, try it out, go play for a long time. Figure, figure it out. That's my, that's like a Jerry Seinfeld impression. I just dropped in there for no reason. Uh, okay. Pionk, come on to your roster is what you would do, right? I would definitely add him and I would consider dropping Shattenkirk depending on who the defensemen who are available like you know like I've been in leagues like Nick Letty's out there in free agency at this point in a lot of leagues he's been dropped you know Brandon Montour a lot of people have been giving up on him so if you're in a league like that where all of these guys Shattenkirk's above those guys though I don't know. I don't know. All those guys are getting more than 20 minutes a game. Less than 20 minutes a game for a defenseman, and that's not on top power play. So I know like Will Butcher doesn't get many minutes, but at least he's on the top power play. Like This deployment is not fantasy-own worthy. Okay, but you wrote a post last night on our Facebook group saying, like, asking me, hey, Brian, can we drop Petrangelo? Then he puts up three points. Like, I I feel within 1 to 15 games... You're going to want Shattenkirk on your roster. And I feel like you'll be able to. I guess that's what I'm saying. I feel like you'll be able to get him back. Like, Petrangelo is a little different. At least he plays like 26, 27 minutes a game. Like, he's getting a lot of ice. And Shattenkirk's just, they don't want him. They don't want to play him on the ice. They'd rather have Neil Pionk out there. Anyway, okay. Quickly, Elon, before our next player, who's also New York Ranger, a Rangers question from David in the chat. Should I drop Shattenkirk for Pionk? Again, like, I'm saying yes. I think if you're the type of league... It depends who's available in free agency. It depends how deep this league is. If Pionk is still available, I think you do it. Like, why haven't the other owners grabbed Pionk? And if they haven't done that, are they really going to jump on Shattenkirk while he's getting this bad deployment and getting no points? This might... is, uh, I would like to know if you have a chance to look it up. Their their percent owned in the cupful. They're both 100 right now. I was just going to mention because of Bandage Ad really quickly. No questions for you, but he's really good. Like, I still see questions sometimes asking if people should pick him up. Like, this must be the shallows of shallow leagues. He's fantastic. He has nine points in 11 games, 46 shots on goal. Like, what more can you want? Add Mika Zibanejad to your team, okay? Do it. Don't, don't ask us about it. Do it. And, and no, also... Just- Oh, are you you moving on? Because I wanted to join in on the DJ Z-Bad excitement. I I think what he's doing is sustainable. I am buying in. Right now he's playing at a 67-point pace. This is not a Grace Kelly-type acting job. Let's do this, Mika. 65 points, maybe a couple more. 
Wow, he's great. And Jimmy VC right now is playing on the top line with him. So I don't know, maybe in a deep league, you could stream in Jimmy VC or play him on FanDuel on a given day. You know, watch who's playing on the top line. They've been shifting that around a little bit ever since Buchnevich got bumped from that spot. All right, let's go to the Blackhawks. Brandon Saad is back from his trip to the fourth line and he has settled pretty nicely with Kanan and Isimov on the top line. He had two goals and one assist over his last three games before today. And today I prepared the show before uh, I got the result for today. So let's see. Chicago played against Edmonton. looks like Edmonton won two to one, no points for Saad, but I guess Chicago only scored one goal. So how much are we going to read into that? Either way, obviously if you're playing with Patrick Kane, that's a lot better than being on the fourth line playing with nobodies. So Brian, you actually bid big on Kane. I mean, sorry, on Saad in the couple, you used a good chunk of your fab money, your free agent acquisition budget to get Saad on your roster. Are you like really happy with this move? Like at this point, like, are, do you expect Saad to be the type of guy that's going to stick on your roster, like potentially for the rest of the season? Like, I don't know, maybe six, I think it was like six bucks, right? So it's not as if you spent so, so much. I'm curious to get your take now. Should everyone be rushing to grab Saad like you did? Or because I'm kind of concerned that maybe he gets shifted off at any time, right? Like they apparently Chicago lost today. Poor Nick Schmaltz got bumped to line three to get Anisimov there. Maybe Schmaltz comes back at some point and bumps Saad. Like I feel like Saad's spot there isn't for sure, but while he's there, you want to take a guy playing with Patrick Kane. So maybe that also means you want uh, Anisimov. I don't know that you need to rush to grab Saad. It depends on how deep your league is. In my cupful division, the top championship tier, uh, I, I thought that it was a rare chance to get someone who could get his deployment. And he's going to stick on my roster for as long as he's playing with Patrick Kane at five on five. And especially for as long as he's got a half decent power play role. I was big on the idea of Brandon Saad and Patrick Kane doing great things together this year. And I, I haven't given up on it. I just hope that Saad can stay in coach's good graces uh, long enough to, to hold and do things with this deployment that he's getting now. Uh, and Schmaltz, is uh, on the third line seems like an offense spready type thing, especially for a team that's sort of thin on depth in Chicago. If they can manage, if they can survive putting Schmaltz on the third line, then maybe they would. Uh, if he sticks there, Schmaltz is definitely pretty snoozy. Uh, if it's beginning to look like an Isimov stays ahead of Schmaltz on the depth chart, uh, just be ready to stream Schmaltz out, especially in shallower formats. Oh yeah. Get rid of Schmaltz in pretty much every format. Already. Like you're ready. You're done. Oh. Uh, maybe if it's like points only hold on to him but he like sucks for peripherals right like he doesn't take many shots yeah. like he doesn't score he just like gets assists and he gets assists when patrick kane scores goals so if he's not on the ice with patrick kane then i'm not into him i'm ready to give up but hey chicago lost two to one today to edmonton in overtime i'm learning this now as we speak so maybe a new line shakeup happens for the next game that definitely wouldn't surprise me let's talk about the buffalo sabers now this eichel pominville skinner line is on fire Eichel has six assists in his last four games, along with 17 shots. Skinner has five goals and four assists in those last four games. That's nine points in four games. And Jason Pominville has four goals and four assists in that same span, including one goal and one assist yesterday versus Columbus. Pominville is also seeing time on the top power play, along with Eichel, Skinner, Casey Middlestat, and Rasmus Dahlin. I feel like it's must-add time for Jason Pominville, right? Like, do you think this could be another Connor Sherry situation where Pominville's looking great on the top line for a bit and he eventually gets shifted off? But in the meantime, like, he's on, he's probably already owned in your league, unfortunately. Actually, Brian, while you're answering, I'll check and see how Pominville's doing in terms of cupful ownership. But if he's available as a free agent in your league, I feel like you need to find a spot for him while he's, like, doing so well with Eichel and Skinner. Well, he's definitely owned by Dustin, who's against me this week. It's, it's the one time in the last five years that I haven't rushed to add Jason Pominville with big hopes for him. And of course it's, it's the one time that my opponent does that instead. The thing like Connor Sherry didn't hold on the first line, right? So if you're saying this is a Sherry like situation, 
to me, that means it could be temporary. And that's that's what I think it is. It seems like a get in while it lasts kind of deal with Jason Pominville. You want him, but not for one minute longer than this deployment holds. And with Buffalo having scored 17 goals while winning three of their last four games, it feels like this could hold for as long as the offense keeps humming along. Also keep in mind uh, that Pominville, even if he does hold this deployment for another like week or two or three, uh, his current torrid pace, not sustainable. Yeah, well, for sure. But yeah, I think he's worth owning. He's only owning 75% of Cupful Leagues. I wonder if after the Cupful competitors listen to this podcast, if that'll get up to 100 pretty soon. And by the way, Brian, you did hear me correctly. And listeners, it's Rasmus Dahlin who's been playing on the top power play lately. Not Rasmus Ristolainen. Dahlin only has four points in 11 games so far. But I feel like if he was dropped in your league, you know, I'm assuming in a one-year league, it's time to pounce now that he's on the top power play, playing with these guys who are doing so well. And by the way, Ristolainen, only four points in 11 games himself, but now he's not getting that same deployment. I feel like he might actually be approaching snoozer territory, at least in shallower leagues, if he's not going to be on the top power play unit. Yeah, let's see. Uh, let's look now that we have 11 games of data and we were desperately wondering what Darlene's entrance into the Buffalo lineup meant for Ristolainen. Uh, let's do a little status check on Ristolainen here with Darlene in the lineup. Uh, Risto's down one and a half minutes per game at even strength, though his shot and shot attempt rates are higher than ever, which should help compensate for that lost time. Uh, they've helped him still put up just a touch above two shots on goal per game. Ristolainen has been a little less involved in putting pucks towards the net while on the power play, and now uh, there's a cut into his power play time on ice. He's still putting up good hits and blocked numbers, but if your league doesn't count those peripherals and your league doesn't value two shots on goal per game from a defenseman, uh, Risto is snoozing for as long as he's off the top unit, which, Elon, I don't know if you have a feel for this. It could be a week that he's off the top unit. Could be the rest of the season. Neither one would surprise me. I think that it's for the rest of the season. That would be my guess. I think Rasmus Dahlin, he's there. They obviously decided he's good there, and he's their defenseman superstar of the future. So leave him there. Why take him off? Unless he's doing badly. For now, I think he's got some leash. That's my guess. Uh, I'll mention also really quickly, Kyle Poso has a goal in three straight games. Two of those were on the power play. It's a really good top power play. Another reason to like Dalene, by the way. And I'll throw in Casey Middlestat. Little update on him. One power play point in each of his last two games. One of those was a four-shot game. Uh, Middlestat still has yet to register a five-on-five point. And it might be because, Elon, he's been seeing like bottom of the barrel five-on-five minutes. In Buffalo's last game, Middlestat saw four minutes on the power play and only five minutes more total, all of those at five-on-five. We rarely see a distribution of a a player being played like that where four out of their nine total minutes come on the power play. Yeah, and that's obviously something that could change throughout the season. So maybe it's not time to add Casey Middlestat if he's a free agent in your league, but watch for that deployment to increase at some point. I could see him being relevant at some point during the season. I think this is going to be the last time we say his name this season on Keeping Carlson. So Brian, we've already talked about two of your couple goalies in Bobrovsky and Neuwirth. So how about let's finish up the trifecta and talk about Mike Smith. Patron Sam requested that we bring him up. So this one's for you, Sam. Another weak start yesterday versus Washington. Smith led in three goals on 27 shots in the 4-3 shootout loss. He is now 3-4-1 and one with a pitiful 869 save percentage. You, by the way, I've been mentioning all of these low save percentages. A goalie needs should have like at least 910 
for me to think they're like decent at least like 900 i feel like that's the like lower than 900 is bad and like mike smith we're talking 869 not good if you recall smith had a great start to last season but after coming back from his injury he was basically playing like this right for the last couple of months he had a sub 890 percentage in the well, so it was only eight games that he played in february and march before he was finally shut down for the season so it's uh, we're approaching a year it's been like nine ten months since mike smith has been playing consistently well to make matters worse for mike smith owners backup david riddick has had a great start to the year. Even with his three goals against on 15 shots after he relieved Smith in the 9-1 loss to Pittsburgh on Thursday, Riddick still has a 9.33 save percentage in the five games he's played. Brian, are you worried as a Mike Smith owner that he might just like not be good anymore or like not capable of like putting up consist- consistently good play? I know it's not been too many games. So you're probably going to say that you're not too worried about that just yet. But at what point does David Riddick get a couple starts in a row a la Corpusalo, and then maybe another couple after that if he plays well? Calgary's 5-5-1 five, five, and one on the year right now. This is a team that's trying for the playoffs got to imagine they're going to go with the goalie that they think gives them the best chance to win right they're not they don't have any allegiance to mike smith so i had really big worries about mike smith uh, going into last season and he proved me wrong most of the year about having those worries and then i stayed on board uh, going into this year still like a little cautious but a little more hopeful and now he's proving me uh, wrong for being hopeful, uh, which is a real shame. Mike Smith is in that group with Jake Allen, Bobrovsky, and Martin Jones, who've really struggled to perform up to even any average NHL standards, given the quality of the shots they've been facing. The good news for Mike Smith owners is that I don't know whether Riddick can mount a real challenge. We saw Riddick do the same thing last year. He came out super hot in a couple starts, but then he fizzled when the Flames tried to lean on him harder. I could see Calgary experimenting with workloads between the two. And so people relying for Mike Smith starts might want to check their list of free agent goalies to see if they might want to find a number three type guy to add to their roster while Smith struggles or worse sits. Yeah. It's uh, not a great situation. He's one of, of all the goalies you mentioned there. Mike Smith is the one I'm most worried about potentially losing starts just because I like, or like even more so like just not being good. Like I'm going to need to see him go on a good stretch before I'm convinced. Like I feel like he might be going down the Corey Schneider trajectory where it just kind of is bad for a while and can't get back together. Like, is that a lot of injuries over there? At some point they catch up to you. He's not a young guy. Uh, anyways, we're talking about Calgary here. After that terrible loss to Pittsburgh, Calgary shook up their lines for the Washington game. They bumped Elias Lindholm to line three to play with James Neal and Dylan Dubé. Sam Bennett got that great spot starting on the top line with Gajon Monahan. Unfortunately for Bennett, he didn't do anything aside from throw seven hits, which is great. And apparently he was moved off the top line for Matthew Kachuk at points during the game. Meanwhile, Elias Lindholm was at least still on the top power play and he did score a power play goal. Brian, I, owned Eli- I own Elias Lindholm in the couple. Should I be worried? Or do you think he'll get back on the top line soon? Like the dude has nine points in 10 games. Bill Peters, don't ruin this for me. I'm enjoying this. Can we please keep Lindholm there? Like Sam Bennett's not that good. Elias Lindholm is better. We all know it. I don't think uh, Sam Bennett, lovingly known as Sammy Bagels on Calgary Flames Twitter, poses much of a threat to Lindholm's spot. And Lindholm, who I think is pretty much a line-dependent player, uh, also helps his own case by uh, not offering much value elsewhere in the lineup, at least by what I think. So uh, you don't gain anything from moving him off the top line, and he's crushing it on the top line. So why not just leave him there? The only other guy to contend for that top line spot is James Neal, who has been essentially buried this far. Uh, With Bennett's promotion, James Neal stayed on the third line playing behind Austin Sharnick, who got the second line spot ahead of him. Uh, That shiny James Neal contract that Calgary uh, just handed him is already looking pretty dubious in the first year. Ooh. 
Yeah, you don't want to sign these 30-plus-year-old guys that haven't been good for a while. I feel like we knew right at the beginning. We thought, like, James Neal could be good if he plays on the top line. But this is looking like another Troy Brower situation. So, Calgary, not looking good, but... Do me a favor, get uh, Elias Lind- I'm not dropping Lindholm yet. Anyways, I feel like he still is going to get some more shots at that top line. And hey, top power play is still good. And like I said, he still scored a power play goal. So I can't be too concerned with that change in deployment. Speaking of line changes, the New York Islanders shook things up for their game versus Neuverth and the Flyers. And unlike with Calgary, their new lines looked great. They did great in that game. They destroyed Calgary, destroyed Mike Smith. Uh, Anthony Bavillier bumped Andrew Ladd to get on the top line to play with Matt Barzel and Jordan Eberle. Finally, the old gang back together. Remember last year, Bavillier, Barzel, and Eberle. That was a great second line. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Anders Lee, Josh Bailey, and Brock Nelson have been playing on the second line. And then the top power play has been Bailey, Barzel, Eberly, Lee, Letty on the top power play. Letty still there. Lee had a huge game in that game versus Calgary. I think that was on Friday. He had a goal and three assists. Barzel had two assists. Bailey had two assists. Bavillier had a goal. Eberly had an assist. Brock Nelson had two goals. Today, Islanders played again. Lee and Bailey both got another couple of points. And hey, even Pulak and Letty got a point each. So that's nice. Very rare when a New York Islanders defenseman gets a point. Yeah, and not when one not named Scott Mayfield, although he has gone quiet, as predicted. Beauvillier, top line, great. Matt Barzell, for for people who put stock in such things, and, you know, I kind of do to an extent when there's not a lot of data available. Matt Barzell said nice things about Anthony Beauvillier in an interview recently. Uh, So that's a good thing. Maybe they hold together. The Isles have a nice spread of talent through their top six. Really, all of them are worth considering right now. Yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, even in deep leagues, so in deep leagues, I feel like Bovillier and Brock Nelson could be worth a look at this point. Eberly, he's still struggling, but I, I'd imagine you're still into him, especially now that he's playing on the Barzo line and still on the top power play, though. He's not doing much. Like, also, how about Anders Lee proving the doubters wrong? Everyone was, or a lot of people were saying, like, this guy's not going to be able to repeat his amazing year from last year now that he's not playing with Tavares. Dude's got 11 points in 10 games now. He don't need no Tavares. Like, Brian, I think that at this point, Anders Lee, second best own on the Islanders and maybe the best own on the Islanders, depending on your league's categories. Because we had a question from patron Jade, who's also one of the co-writers of the Average Time on Ice blog, which is amazing. They also have a great Twitter account at Average Time on, uh, at AVG Time on Ice. It's, these guys are great. They also write a cupful Illuminati newsletter. It's Jade, Ben, and Lewis. And I love them all. This is a great contribution to our patron and the whole hockey community. Anyways, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Jade asked us to talk about Matt Barzel because while he's doing well in terms of points, he's not doing well in like any other category and specifically shots. Like, so he's got 10 points in 10 games. Really good. Only nine shots in those 10 games. Fewer shots than games. Is Matt Barzel doing a late career Henrik Sedin impression right now? And like, is this something to be concerned about? It's got to be annoying. If you're in a categories league with shots as a category, you've got Matt Barzel there delivering well below replacement production for that category. He's obviously not getting you goals. He's great for assists and power play points but aside from that like Anders Lee's helping you across the board Brian am I crazy I'm saying Anders Lee best New York Islander to own in a multi-category league yeah you're not far off he's looking as capable as we hoped he'd continue to be without John Tavares in the lineup it seems as though Matt between Matt Barzal and uh Brock Nelson uh, he Anders Lee can still make Great things happen with his stick. He's a fantastic scorer and offers a lot of help in other categories. Whereas Barzell, his shot rates are certainly down. Actually, on the power play, they're up. 
So that's very limited time, though. They're down at even strength on the whole. And I don't know what the cause is here. Like, is Barzell now a Sedine or Thornton-type setup man? Or are other teams pressuring him to pass more quickly when it wouldn't be his preference otherwise? Keep in mind that Barzell was never a big shooter last year. He had about two shots per game. Uh, but, of course, one less shot per game is 82 fewer shots for the year. Very simple math there. Uh, in any case, this is something Jade, uh, Jade brought up cleverly. It's worth watching. And if anyone has any further insights into the reasons for the drop in Barzal shooting rates that I, I was not able to find, tweet at us. Let us know. I, I'm very curious. At Keeping Carlson. And yeah, let us know what's going on with Matt Barzal's shots. Still getting, like, if you're in a league that only counts points, you're loving him, right? 10 points in 10 games. How can you complain? Uh, okay, Brian, how about at this point, let's go to a lightning round. And I'm, I'm talking about a for real lightning round. I know we say that, and then we go on for like another 100 minutes. I'm going to tell you about a player. You give me like one minute response, and we'll move on because I got a bunch of players I still want to talk about, but there's not, not too much to ask. So I want to start with just some deployment changes. So Jacob Verana finally got onto the top line in Washington, playing with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov. He has four points in his last four games. I feel like it's time for people to jump on the Verana train before it leaves the station. Yeah, jump on that train. There are another 10 games before Tom Wilson returns to the lineup or less if the NHLPA wins its appeal to reduce the suspension. So that's how long Jacob Vrana has to make his case to hold on to his top line spot. I'm with you, Elon. It's worth getting on board with Vrana in case he does. Recall my fearless prediction in our almanac that we released in the offseason that Jacob Vrana spends more time on the top line this year than Tom Wilson does. And I'm off to a pretty good start on it (laughs) with that Wilson suspension. That counts, right? I mean, I guess, I guess you didn't that say... That was part of the prediction. You assumed he was going to be suspended for some games. That was very clever of you, Brian. Okay, uh, Mike Green is back for Detroit. He had five shots in his return on Friday. He assisted on a Mantha goal today versus Dallas. Looks like Detroit is running two pretty even power plays. They've got Green, Bertuzzi, Larkin, Mantha, Nyquist, and then Athanasiu, Nielsen, Michael Rasmussen, Vanek, and Dennis Chalowski. They don't sound like two even power plays in terms of the names. One sounds like a clear top power play, except that actually the second unit that I said is the one that got more time today. So I don't know how this gets decided. I think Green generally is going to be the top power play guy. How do you think Mike Green compares to the Pionks and Shea Theodores and Vince Dunn's of the world? Do we like him better than at least Chalowski, who's been great, right? Six points in eight games, though nothing today. And also I feel like with Green back, Chalowski's value has got to go down, right? Probably, possibly. I, I like Mike Green. Like he's probably more like a Shea Theodore, probably below a Dunn uh, on a Mike Yo coach, coach St. Louis team above a Pionk. I really appreciated Green's five shots in the season debut, but we'll see if he can make a case to get the better power play assignment above uh, Dennis Cholowski. Cholowski has five power play points in nine games, which frankly is fantastic production. You're seeing some fortune and variance in Cholowski's number, but still five power play points in nine games. That's as good or better than Green has ever really managed to do in any string of games in Detroit. Yeah, I actually saw a tweet or an article or something like it was like Dennis Chalowski talking about how Mike Green was like one of his favorite players growing up and he's been like trying to emulate him and it's so cool for him to play with Green. I love when stuff like that happens. That's, that's, that's fun, right? That's like Patrick Laine talking about playing against Ovechkin. Imagine if they played together. Okay, next in the lightning round, we've got Yaroslav Halak with another shutout. He blanked Philly on Thursday. He now has a 945 save percentage in six games. And recall all these goals I've talked about with sub 900. Here we've got a 945 Yaroslav Halak. Amazing. Meanwhile, Tuka Rask, he lost to the Habs yesterday. He's now at a 902 save percentage in six games. Much, much worse. I think we're very close to Halak getting a few starts in a row. I know they've been going back and forth, which is already not what Rask owners were hoping for, and I think it's going to get worse for him. That's my fearless prediction. I feel like maybe not this week, but I feel like in next week or the week after, we're going to get a stretch where Halak just gets like three out of four games. 
it's not so fearless at this point, right? The, the table certainly seems to be tilting in favor of Yaroslav Halak. So you better get him. If he's still somehow available in your league, this is your best chance to get a potential number one goalie on a top five or at least top 10 team in the league. Go get him now. There is there's a non-zero chance that Yaroslav Halak this is too crazy, Brad. I'm just going to say it, even though it's too great. There's a non-zero chance, I think, that he gets nominated for the Vesna Trophy this year. I'm just what? throwing it out. I'm throwing it out there. It's possible. He's had a great I love start. It. I'm into it. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's talk about some amazing top lines. So Forsberg, Johansson, and Arvidsson on Nashville have 14, 13, and 11 points in 11 I think, games. Go I think Yaroslav Halak might have a chance of being uh, nominated for a Nobel Prize. I, well, I, that's I think a little... we need to just keep escalating our Yaroslav Halak predictions. <laughs> wow, you interrupted my Nashville talk for that? It was a good I'm joke. sorry. <laughs> okay, Forsberg, Johansson, Arvidsson have 14, 13, and 11 points in 11 games respectively. So all above a point per game. Forsberg up to 10 goals in 11 games. What the heck? I feel like Forsberg, he's an underrated candidate for, or like this line, by the way, is an underrated candidate for the best top line in the league. Forsberg, an underrated candidate to go and win that Rocket Richard trophy this year. No one's talking about him, but this guy scores goals and he's got two great linemates with him. You know, Ryan Johansson is someone that people are always like, oh, he's good. He's not great. Like at this point, Ryan Johansson is playing the elite, like he's getting the elite numbers we were hoping for from him when he first got to Nashville. So yeah, this is a great line. Of course, they're nowhere near Colorado where Rantanen, McKinnon, and Landeskog have 21, 18, and 16 points in 12 games, respectively. Jeez, Louis Demang. Like, the, like so many points from these two lines. Of course, you also got to give props to Aho, Furland, and Teravainen. That trio in Carolina has 16, 11, and 10 points in nine games, respectively. Teravainen assisted on an Aho goal today versus the Islanders. Those actually numbers might be off, because I don't think I accounted for today's game for the Carolina Hurricanes. But yeah, like, perhaps, by the way, at this point, Furland could just stick on that top line, right? Maybe we were wrong to say he's a sell high, not saying he's going to be a point per game guy, but it's look like, I mean, this line is doing well. I have a feeling this is going to stick for a little while. And by the way, also patron Saqib asked, is Tara Vinen a point per game player? Maybe he is. All right. So lightning's going to strike twice, I guess. Oh no, that's terrible. Forget it. Do it. it. Just keep going with it. I'm not editing. That was great. Uh, No, I'm going to strike twice and you're going to talk about these guys. Yeah. It's terrible. Anyway, a hurricane's about to strike twice. Okay. Um, so sensitive. Michael for, is it? Well, I mean, a lot of people have been affected by hurricanes. Yeah, but people have been affected by lightning strikes, too. Not as much. What about them? It's not as much in the news. It's not as topical. Okay, go ahead. Talk about Our thoughts and sympathies to, like, sincerely. That sounded, okay. Just go. Michael Furland, in about 95 games, remember, he he spent 95 games playing almost exclusively with Gaudreau and Monaghan. He only picked up 49 points there, which is why I was cool to him to start the season, but... Furlan has a little more of a power play role in Carolina now, and that could help him beat that pace. And Furlan's also just ripping shots on goal. He's averaging more than three shots per game, when last year he was putting up just two shots per game, also throwing two and a half hits per game. So great fingers value. I'm not sure how high, if you want to sell high on Furlan. Like, I don't know how much you can sell on him. He's not, not a whole lot of name value with the name Michael Furland, uh, which matters in trying to make those uh, sell-high deals. But he's a nice guy to hold for what I am now hoping to be fantasy-relevant production throughout the year. As for Tara Vinan being a point-per-game player, he may be closer than I'd have thought heading into the season. His numbers look like they could reasonably sustain, given that Aho continues being the scoring monster he's been to help really drive the line. I won't say point-per-game for Tara Vinan, but I will say 
that I think he can join the 70 point club this year. One more reason I think that is that like a lot of his production is coming to even strength so far. He has just two power play points in his first 10 games. Gotta think he'll do better than that with the men advantage the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, this Carolina, see, they're scoring some goals. And by the way, uh, Petr Morazic, like, he hasn't been terrible, right? Like, I, we were worried that he would blow up. And, like, uh, you know, Curtis McElhenney came in. The people were thinking, oh, maybe McElhenney will even bump Morazic. At this point, people are saying, Curtis McElhooney? Like, they don't need him. And especially now, because Scott Darling is back. He actually backed up Morazic today. He'll probably play on Tuesday versus Boston. Maybe next week, Brian, let's table this for now. But let, we're going to have to talk about Darling versus Morazic. The battle's finally going to happen. And we're going to have to decide who's the better goalie. I think Morazic has made a pretty good case for himself he hasn't been amazing but he hasn't been like a sub 870 goalie like some of these other guys we've talked about this week like or yeah like he's been solid and darling's gonna have to keep up his end of the bargain so yeah fun fun thing to follow fun thing to follow Okay, uh, Jason Spezza has points in four straight games now after his assist today. He's up to nine points in 10 games. What a resurgence for Jason Spezza. He really loves having a new coach there. He played today with Devin Shore and Tyler Pitlick, which isn't great, but he has been a fixture on the top power play, though he doesn't actually have any power play points in those last four games. All those, uh, that four-game point streak that he's on is all from even strength. Plus, like you'd imagine, uh, Radulov's going to come back at some point. If you recall, before Radulov got injured, he was actually playing on the second line with Spezza and I think sometimes Ichushkin or, or someone else. But So there's potentially room for improvement in Spezza's even-strength line mates. And if he can stick on that top power play, I think it's looking really good. Brian, at this point, if both of these guys are in free agency, who would you rather have between Spezza and Jason Pominville? I would prefer Jason Spezza. I love this resurgence that he's got. We told you all that he need. Uh, we told That sounds so... Anyway, we told you all he needed was uh, for Ken Hitchcock to go, and then he could show what he's still got in the tank. And here he is. I like Spezza as someone who should get consistently good deployment all year rather than Pominville, who's vulnerable to being shuffled out of the top six at any given moment. Spezza also getting a greater share of team power play time than ever before in his career. I honestly think Spezza can keep up this 65-point pace he's on, and I'm so sad that I streamed him out of my Kikupful roster short-sightedly after being so savvy and adding him earlier in the year. I thought I could just get him back when I wanted, but of course, the top-tier Kikupful competition was not going to let that happen. Uh, but you want Jason Spezza on your team. He's having a great year, and I think he can keep it up. He is 81.25% owned in the cupful. So there's still some people playing in the most ultimate fantasy league that can get Jason Spezza. So what are you doing? Go grab him. He's good. Okay. Uh, but you know who's not good? Some other people on Dallas. Like Ben Bishop has kind of been struggling. And Jamie Ben is pointless in six games now. He had eight points his first four games. And now he's pointless in six. Brian, what's going on with Jamie Ben? Can we just blame this on the Radulov injury and say once Radulov's going to come back, like everything will be fine? Like, but we traded, if you recall, John Tavares for Jamie Ben. We thought we were really smart. We also got a draft pick upgrade in the trade. I kind of was expecting point per game, Jamie Ben, not pointless in six games, Jamie Ben. I think he's going to be okay. Normally, it's like, yeah, he's going to be okay, no problem. And I don't even think twice about it. Uh, the one thing that gives me a little bit of concern is that Ben has just nine shots over his last five pointless games uh, no, that was before tonight's game Elon I don't did you say what he got tonight I did not but he had no points and he had four shots okay so at least that's bad because I was gonna I was going in the direction of uh you know you have to wonder if something's going on that's injury related because he's not pulling the trigger as much as he is um so there's not much you can do as a Ben owner uh, rather than uh, other than keep an eye on it the fact that he put four shots on goal tonight is a positive sign though yeah, like the thing is, this Dallas team isn't too deep. 
Like they like I think I mentioned like Tyler Pitlick was playing on the top line or, or like you know like with Radulov out it's not as good like I would like for him to come back and hopefully that'll help maybe like how Dustin Brown coming to LA could potentially help like it's not like uh, like and Radulov's obviously a bigger superstar than Dustin Brown so yeah let's wait and see I wouldn't be worried as a Jamie Ben owner though it is frustrating if you lost your week this week and the last week with him doing nothing here's a quote from the Dauber Ramblings who were quoting a Dmitry Filipovich tweet Max Domi's non empty net goals last season five. Max Domi's non-empty net goals over the last 10 days, five. He's matched the number of goals he's scored against a goalie in the past 10 days that he did all of last season. So Max Domi is having a great resurgence himself on the Montreal Canadiens. Gotta imagine we're going to say you have to add him in fantasy if he's available. Yes, five goals on 11 shots doesn't get me super excited, but five goals are great. Good job, Max Domi. It was time you did something. Yeah, okay, and let's end on Winnipeg and talk about Patrick Laine. He was playing on line four last game with Lowry and Tanev. He's pointless in five games. This season is not good. In the, in the Almanac, Brian, we were falling over ourselves to compliment Patrick Laine and predict him to win the Maurice Richard trophy and to predict him to, like, you know, get 80 points. Like, we thought he was going to just take off because he would get more ice time than he used to get. Not only is he not getting more ice time, he's, he's getting worse. Like, he's on the fourth line. Yeah, yeah, we were on the Almanac. We were hyping that there was nowhere to go for Liney in his deployment but up. And so <laughs> this is a real kick in the pants that it went so far down, uh, but by low. Like, this is Everything is going to be okay with Patrick Liney. He's too good to be held down uh, for very long. Like, it, I was excited about Brandon Saad getting out of the doghouse. Liney's going to, like, jump rocket ship out of the doghouse. He is going to be fantastic this year by low. Okay, so you have heard him, people. Bilo and Patrick Laine, yeah, much like Jamie Ben, I'm not too, too worried about him. And I, he's definitely not staying on the, in the fourth line for long, right? That's just a little bit of a lesson for him. Uh, and that's it, Brian. I, I will mention, by the way, Alex Tuck, this game is now 2-2 between Sens and Vegas after two periods. Tuck, a goal and five shots! Alex Tuck, I feel so smart. I grabbed him in PHL, but he was at ESPN. Had a, ESPN's been so glitchy this year, by the way. They had a glitch where he was still IR eligible, even though he had played a game. It was like the next day after he had played. And I added him, and then I made a joke on this like PHL chat saying, hey, isn't it funny like how he's still IR? Like, what's wrong with ESPN? And someone was like, yeah, well, no one should own him anyways. So and like making fun <laughs> of me almost for adding him. I was like, look at me, look at me now, baby. Alex, like <laughs> Jordan Everly's dropped. I don't want him. I want Alex Tuck. He's great. Get him if you can in your league. But with that, Brian, we are finally finally done the show thank you to everyone listening i say finally done i've had a great time the time's flown by i think this is our best show we've ever done how about that so thanks everyone for being along for the ride if you liked it or if you didn't i'll be surprised but you can tweet us <laughs> at keeping carlson and let us know if you want to support the show you can give us five star review on itunes we always appreciate that if you really really want to support the show you can become a patron of keeping carlson and the perks just keep on growing you first of all you get your access to our patron only facebook group you get our monthly patron cast which is going to be this wednesday on halloween night where we take questions from the patron we answer everything they ask us we don't stop until we've gone through every question you get access to the show notes you got like a book here of everything brian and i talked about today you get that after every single episode those are like the main you get into the cupful that's already started but you get on the wait list and maybe take over a team at some point but there's some new things like dave betton has been making the stream scheme every single week a podcast just for the patrons of keeping carlson and it's so so good every week he covers who which players have good schedules and bad schedules who you can drop like you know it's it's really good you'd really like it's a it's a quick funny take on everything going on in the past weekend looking at the next week if you're in a league where you like like to do a lot of adding and dropping this is a podcast for you we've also got the cupful luminati 
uh, newsletter, I guess, or I, I forget what the, it's like a big PDF with amazing articles about what's going on in the cupful, but it's just funny general articles about hockey. And it's written by, like I said, Jade, Ben, and Lewis. They also have a great Twitter account at AVG Time on Ice and their uh, blog. You can check it out with all the articles, Average, average Time on Ice. AverageTimeOnIce.wordpress.com. You really wanted to get in there, didn't you? Well, I just didn't know if you knew the, the blog URL. I was about to say it. But... Damn, you knew it. <laughs> uh, also, a new thing we're doing is, like I like you noticed during this episode, we're taking requests for which players you want us to discuss on the show. There was a short window. Like, I asked, like, Saturday night at, like, 9 p.m., and then I started prepping the show then. So you had, like, a two-hour window to get your player requests in there. But, yeah, as a patron of the of the podcast, you have a better chance of getting the players you want talked about talked about on Keeping Carlson's. And all of that, you get all of that, $5 a month. You buy Brian or I a beer once a month, you get everything. So check it out, keepingcarlson.com slash, slash patron. Brian, that is my sales pitch. Once again, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. With that, let us cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our newest ones, Dan G, Jake, Tom and Nicole, and Christopher S., Thank you all. Also, if you feel up for it, go ahead and write us a little review on iTunes. Like, not just like we love the click the fifth star for the five star rating, but like write a little note that even helps us a little bit too. Uh, this episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Corsica Natural, Star Trek, Charting Hockey, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Yahoo! Great job. As always, Brian, look forward to talking to you on Wednesday for the Patreon cast, and then we'll do this all again next Sunday night. You could join us live, keepingcarlson.com slash live every Sunday at 8 p.m. if you want to be live in the chat room. But Brian, yeah, talk to you then. Bye-bye. Until then, keep on keeping Carlson. Do it. How's he doing tonight? Got an assist. Okay, I'll take at this point I'll take it. It's sad, <laughs> but I'll take it. Okay, bye. Bye.